With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We may not have been able to get Michael Sam to show up for our season premiere, and yes, it may have been a desperate attempt at ratings last Monday night by telling people to tune into our show during halftime, but this Monday we've got a special treat for football fans that's guaranteed to get you to watch our damn show. Ratings! We at WWE are proud to announce that not one but two NFL stars who suddenly have lots of free time on their hands will be appearing live on Monday Night Raw. First, if there's one thing our WWE divas are missing besides acting class, it's an authority figure to keep things in check. That's why I've appointed NFL star Ray Rice as the new general manager of the Divas Division. Ratings! But wait, there's more. I've also named Minnesota Vikings star running back Adrian Peterson as an honorary Make-A-Wish spokesman for WWE. Nobody loves children more than Adrian Peterson. John Cena certainly doesn't. In fact, when asked for comment, Mr. Peterson said... Those kids better be on their best behavior or they're going to wish that it was that human Fruit Loop John Cena there instead of me. (laughs) Oh, that AD, he's got quite the sense of humor. That's exactly what we look for in our WWE superstars. Ratings! We've even extended an invitation to NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell to show up on Raw this Monday night. He won't even have to do anything, which is something he's used to these days. So, put the women and children to bed. No, seriously, put them to bed, I'm not joking. And tune in to a very special NFL edition of Monday Night Raw. Ratings. The Solid Monster sounds off. My client, Brock Lesnar, conquered the street. This doesn't make any sense. Your title belt is made of leather. You're not a real vegan. You fat. You haven't been beat up properly. Woo! Welcome to episode 346 of the Solomonster Sounds Off podcast here for Night of Champions Sunday, September 21st, 2014. I am the Solomonster here with you on Solomonster.com, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher Radio. Speaking of Stitcher, big thank you to everybody who's been streaming us on Stitcher. We are uh, rising rapidly through the top 10 sports charts yet again, so every time you give us a listen on there, it helps our, our ranking, so... Big thank you for that. Keep streaming us on Stitcher. Have a whole bunch of PayPal shout-outs, T-shirt shout-outs to get to people who have been supporting the podcast over the last week or so. So I want to get through these and uh, and just talk about some other stuff, some house cleaning here before we get into the Night of Champions predictions, which uh, we're going to get into that in a second. The breaking news on Roman Reigns. Uh, he's not doing too well these days. He's off the pay-per-view later tonight. Uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff. But first, if you want a free audio book... Please keep using our custom URL for audible.com. It's audibletrial.com slash Solomonster. A bunch of you guys have have signed up. More people signed up over the last week or so. We're doing pretty well in September. We we blew them out of the water in August. We're not really at that level yet, but we still have a week and a half left. So if you haven't tried it out yet, if you have friends or family maybe who who don't mind signing up and and giving it a shot, they may like it, audibletrial.com slash Solomonster. You sign up, you get a free... A 30-day trial of the service, one free audiobook that you get to keep no matter what, uh, over 150,000 audiobook titles to choose from. So audibletrial.com slash Solomonster. Please use that URL to sign up. 
And now let's just get into the shout-outs, because a bunch of you guys have uh, have just been great. You've uh, supported the podcast in various ways this week, and now this is my uh, minute or two here to give back to you guys. A bunch of shout-outs. The Reflection of Perfection, Abraham Lara. Demolition Man, Donovan McIntosh. Ready to Rumble, Robert Castaneda. From the website, manic-expression.com. Give him a little plug there. Francis, Fists of Fire, Acolino. Timmy the Toolman Taylor. I'm, I'm sorry, I had to. Eat Your Heart Out, Paul Jordan. Spectacular Lawrence Spector. Jam Master Jamie Wood. So, uh, good old Jam Master Jay. The Boss, Carlos Manuel. James Life is Good Lindsay, who bought a Sound Off shirt this week. And God's Gift, Danny Garcia, who also bought a Sound Off shirt. And speaking of shirts, I did say if you were one of the first 25 people to buy a shirt from our new store on ProWrestlingTees.com that I would give you a shout-out here on the podcast. I am a man of my word. And I have a few more shout-outs here from Michael Paez, Gavin Lamb, Stephen Demoni, Alex Lazaroff, he's a sound-off guy, Chuck Lunatic Lentz, Trevon Cannonball-Clark, Mark the Almighty Adams, Keith the Conqueror Krajnik, Bryce the Mauler Murray, Billy Killamall Kinney, Ronald the Sandman Silver, Kyle Poison Pill Petrano, Hytham the Equalizer Al Nawasser, the Florida Freebird Bryant Becerra, Exotic Emmanuel Mabadije, John Pipelayer Pog, still one of my favorite nicknames I've ever given out, and Lance Topley. I have to give him a, a big time shout out here because Lance has been helping out with many of the designs that you've seen in the store, so I want to thank him double for that. The guy is a true pro. And what's really cool is that we had a certain threshold that we we had to meet in order to not only maintain the store on Pro Wrestling Tees, but be able to upload more designs. Because there's a lot of other designs in the pipeline, like shirts I'm really excited about. I can't wait to get them up. But we only have four designs up. That's all we're allowed until we hit our threshold. And I'm happy to say that we're only a handful of shirts away from, from blowing past that goal. And that's all because of you guys. So a big thank you to everybody who's bought a shirt. We need a few more to hit that threshold. So now would be the time, if you're thinking about buying a shirt, you'd be helping us out big time by doing it sooner rather than later, so that way we can get more shirts up. Uh, so ProWrestlingTees.com slash off. That is the direct URL to our store. Uh, we have a brand new SoundOff guy design up. I don't think I had a chance to mention that last week. I think it went up about a day or so after the podcast. Uh, but there is a brand new Sound Off Guy shirt in the same vein as Paul Heyman Guy. Why be a Heyman Guy when you can be a Sound Off Guy? Same offer still applies. You buy a shirt this week, more than happy to give you a shout-out on the podcast next week. We're almost there. We're only a few more away. We're almost there. So head on over to the store. And Again, you could also make a, uh, a PayPal donation, as always, on the Solomonster.com. I, I forgot to mention that earlier. So lots of different ways to show your support. And uh, thank you very much to those who have done so already. i, I got to think of something special to do for you guys who uh, wear your, your sound-off shirt to a WWE show and get them on camera. You know, Same thing with signs. Some of you guys have, have gotten your Solomonster signs on TV. I think that's just always a trip to see. i got to think of something special for you guys. Uh, hey, I also want to mention uh, Demario Falls. He recently started listening to the podcast. He learned about it from Wiza Now. On YouTube, he wanted to know if I'd give Wiza a shout-out. I love Wiza. He's a good dude. So, Wiza, there's your shout-out. Thanks for the referral. Night of Champions. Live tonight on Pay-Per-View slash WWE Network. Is it even on Pay-Per-View anymore? I guess it is. 
Uh, they don't even bother mentioning that, but it is on the WWE Network. Uh, lots of subscriptions coming due around this time. And, and to think, you know, a couple months ago, the belief was that they were going to stack this show. It was going to just be stacked with big-time matches to keep people from canceling the network, to get new people to subscribe. And I look at this card, and honestly, I think it has the potential to be really good, but I would hardly call it a stacked card. So it really is a show that's built around one match, John Cena and Brock Lesnar, which is a rematch of a rematch. So that's Night of Champions. Now, Roman Reigns. Let's talk about Roman Reigns first, because that was the big breaking news. Literally, breaking news. There was a new section on the WWE Network, if you browse around, called Breaking News. And it took them long enough to do something like this, because God knows I've, <laughs> I've advocated that they should have been doing stuff like this a long time ago. But they have a, a Breaking News section. They had a live update from Scott Stanford in the studios at what they call WWE World Headquarters. And he was sitting there like the newsman that he is, and he actually is a news anchor in real life here in New York, giving us a news update about Roman Reigns, who went into emergency surgery yesterday morning for a what they're calling an incarcerated hernia. I had never heard of that type of hernia before, uh, but that's what it is. But yeah, they, they broke in live on the network a little, a little late. Uh, I'm happy to see them do it. The problem is they said they were going live at 1 p.m. They sent tweets out saying, tune in at 1 p.m., we're going to break in with a live update on Roman Reigns. And when people tuned in, they didn't see Scott Stanford. They saw a CM Punk documentary. So, oops. Update didn't come for another 90 minutes. But you know what? As long as they work out the kinks, they they should be breaking in for more live updates like this. So I think that's cool. It's about time they did something like that. Uh, The surgery was a success. WWE doctor was on the network talking about it. He said Reigns woke up yesterday morning in his hotel room. He had really bad abdominal pain, called their medical staff. They said, get your ass to a hospital. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly the words they used. I'm, I'm, you know, paraphrasing here. So he went, they found out he had the hernia, which meant that part of his intestine had wrapped around it. And apparently it's a, it was a, a really large hernia, which, which doesn't sound like any fun at all. Uh, I thought I had a hernia once. I had a doctor tell me I had something called an inguinal hernia, or he thought I did. And I just kind of brushed it off and said, okay, whatever. Uh, that was a few years ago. I've been okay ever since. So I don't know if I, I might technically have a hernia still myself, but obviously nothing this serious. Uh, so they had the surgery. He's off the pay-per-view tonight, obviously. Minimum four to six weeks of recovery time, and that's being generous. It could be as long as 10 to 12 weeks. So we could be looking at three months uh, with Roman Reigns off TV. And it doesn't matter, according to the doctor, how physically fit you are, how big and strong you may be. Your recovery time is going to be no different for a Roman Reigns than it would be for, for me. So he's just got to leave it. He's got to do no physical activity at all. Let it heal. And they will not clear him until he's 100%. So this could take a while. And I said on Twitter, you know, it makes next year's Royal Rumble more interesting because he's out long enough if he's out the maximum length of time, I mean, look, he could be back in, in four to six weeks. But if he's gone for three months, a little bit longer, and if Daniel Bryan is held out until then, around January for his return, that gives you two very real possibilities as far as winners of the Royal Rumble go. You know, usually it's pretty predictable who's going to win. It's always that one guy. Of course, it's going to be that one guy who wins. It's going to be Stone Cold. It's going to be Cena. It's going to be Batista, of course. That's not the case here. You know, I would think it would be Roman Reigns, but who knows? Could very well be Brian if they want to do Brian and Brock, if Brock is still the champion of WrestleMania next year. Again, Brian, when he comes back, 
the thing to remember about Daniel Bryan, no matter what you may think about him, you may not like him, you may think he's boring and small, you're happy he's not in the title picture anymore. When he comes back, and God knows WWE is not known for their storyline consistency, but when he comes back, he's got a built-in story in that he never lost the championship. He had it taken away from him. He was never beaten for the title. So, you know, in that respect, when he comes back, he should be put right back in the title picture. Now, I guess probably not. You know, the authority doesn't like him, so uh, they don't necessarily want him to get a title shot. So maybe there'll be a a roadblock to him again. But it's almost like we've seen that storyline play out. I'm not interested in another three, four-month storyline of Daniel Bryan trying to fight the authority to get his title shot. You know, like, been there, done that. But they've got that built-in story with him when he comes back if they want to exploit it. Uh, Or, I mean, shit, they could do a a rematch from SummerSlam last year. If Cena somehow between now and then gets the belt back, if he wins the belt tonight and he holds on to it, could always do Brian and Cena in a rematch from SummerSlam. Remember, Cena never got his his win back. So that's what kind of scares me about the idea of doing another Cena-Brian match. Uh, but anyway, it, it sucks for Roman Reigns. The timing is, is pretty shitty. I mean, there's no good time to get hurt. Uh, but I feel bad for the dude. And you know, with with the creative rut that this company is in right now, and with all of these injuries, if ever there was a time for another Shield-like influx of new talent, this is it. I mean, this is it right now. It's not just, oh, Roman Reigns got hurt. You know, Roman Reigns is out hurt. Brian's still out hurt. And there's other guys, too. Bad News Barrett, who who wasn't quite on the main event level, but he was getting a push. You know, he was a champion when he got hurt. Uh, so, a bunch of injuries, and the fact that these shows of late have just been agonizing. Agonizing! You know, and I know why they won't do this, what I'm about to propose, okay? I know. I know all the reasons why this is not likely. Some of these guys haven't even debuted on NXT television yet. But, as much of a fuss on WWE.com, and even on the the conference call that Triple H did before TakeOver, okay? They made a big deal about all these signings, Kenta and Devitt and Steen. How great would it be to take those three and maybe throw in an Adrian Neville and bring them up to TV as a unit, okay? Now, I don't like that by doing that, it would effectively gut the NXT roster, okay? And it it would deprive us of Uh, All those great matches I think a lot of us are looking forward to. I mean, when you really look at the roster they have now and the guys that are coming in, uh, I think the next three to six months of NXT could turn out to be a hell of a lot of fun. I would hate to to ruin that in some way. But sometimes you've got to strike while the iron's hot. It's no different than other sports. You know, I'm a Mets fan. Why, I don't know. But I'm a New York Mets fan, okay? If a guy goes down with an injury, and God knows any Mets fan listening to this knows exactly what it feels like to lose a player due to injury, okay, if you're a Mets fan, it's a way of life, you get replaced by somebody else. A lot of times they'll promote somebody from the minor leagues to take your spot. Maybe it's a young phenom, okay? So it happens in real sports too. I love NXT, but I am sick of suffering through Raw on Monday nights. If there is a spot open for those guys to come up and make an impact, and I'm not talking Bo Dallas or Adam Rose or any of those guys they brought up and done nothing with. I mean making an impact on day one, the way they did with Rollins, Reigns, and Ambrose. Then they should take advantage of that. You could still have those guys floating around NXT. 
You know, after the Wyatt family and the Shield debuted on the main roster, it's not like they suddenly disappeared and they stopped wrestling down there. I'm just, I, I'm dying for something different. The television has been atrocious since SummerSlam, and they need to shake things up. They've, they've missing, they're missing guys like Brian and Punk, who were having some of the best matches on the roster. Them leaving, in the case of Punk, or going down with an injury in the case of Brian, left a huge void in terms of, of that on the roster. They're missing guys like Barrett and Reigns now, who were just starting to get real pushes when they got hurt. Who can they replace them with to be the workhorses of the brand? They've got plenty of options. I look at those four that I mentioned, and I know I left out Sami Zayn, who I love, but four's already pushing it. Five would be too many. I think Zayn's going to be just fine on his own whenever they decide to bring him up. You know, let, let him get a run with the NXT belt in the meantime and just call up the other four. You know, it'd be like the Radicals when they came to WWE. They were the workhorses. You can go two ways with these guys. You can have them... I thought about this. You can have them attack John Cena, of course. It, you know, that, that you could always have somebody attack John Cena. That's one way to get people's attention. There's nobody bigger than John Cena. And cost him the title and, and what, or whatever. Just give him new guys to work with, which I'm sure everybody listening to this will think is a horrible idea because Vince McMahon... His track record. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Record of feeding new guys to John Cena is, you know, it is what it is. But still, coming in to feud with John Cena, not the worst way to make your debut. Although the problem with that is where do you go from there? If you come in on day one and, and you attack the top guy, the number one guy, you know, the only place to go is down. But then again, I think I probably thought the same thing about The Shield, and they did pretty good for themselves. It's funny to me, when WWE wants to push somebody, if, if they really have it in their mind, like these guys are going to be stars and we have to protect them at all costs, then they will protect those guys. And The Shield will go down, in my opinion, as the best book trio of guys, probably in the history of that company, if we're talking young guys here, okay, being brought up. It's, it's incredible to me that, that this company, given their track record of how they push people when they first come in, especially... You know, in the case of Rollins and Ambrose, guys from the Indies, because you know the Indies used to be a dirty word in WWE, now not so much. How those guys were protected, how long they went undefeated for, is incredible to me. I mean, they made main eventers overnight. Their very first match was that six-man tag on the TLC pay-per-view in Brooklyn in 2012, and it was, in my opinion, the match of the year. It was incredible. And, and maybe Triple H had a lot to do with that. You know, Triple H's boys, he's got to protect his boys. And I think the Shield's done pretty well for themselves so far. Where would we be right now if the Shield guys were not on the WWE roster? If we didn't have Mr. Money in the Bank, Seth Rollins. If we didn't have Dean Ambrose and his return to look forward to. And say what you want about Roman Reigns, but, you know, he's probably going to be the, the top star going forward. Where would we be right now without those guys and without them having the kind of matches that, that they've had in the past? It's pretty scary. So, debuting these guys against Cena in a, in, a, in a situation like that, not the worst idea in the world, but you do run into that issue of, 
where do they go from here? So the other idea, and this this is actually the one I kind of like more. I was thinking about this. The other idea is, if you don't go the John Cena route, why not bring them in as the hired guns of Triple H and the Authority? E- even if Triple H denies it, you know? To help take out a returning Dean Ambrose. Dude's a crazy man. He's going to kill Seth Rollins when he comes back. Possibly as early as tonight. Rollins has that briefcase still to cash in. They don't want Ambrose screwing that up. So these four come in and they attack Ambrose. You know, maybe if they do a Hell in a Cell match next month between Rollins and Ambrose to, to try to blow off their feud, maybe you do it then. Maybe they show up then. These four guys hit the scene, they attack him, and now Ambrose not, has not only just Seth Rollins to feud with, but he's got four other dudes to work with, and you know he'd have great matches with any of those four. Neville, Devitt, Kenta, or Steen. Makes Ambrose seem like a bigger deal, too. That Triple H had to enlist the help of his NXT boys to help take him out. Which is the other element to this that I really like, because Dean Ambrose, they, they've got to take advantage of this. Ambrose is done filming his movie. His last day of filming was yesterday. The day before the pay-per-view. You, it could not work out any more perfectly than it has. R- Reigns is gone for the time being. He's out. And we need another top babyface because John Cena alone, he ain't cutting it. That's not enough. Ambrose can be as big of a star as they want him to be. People are already behind him. He's different. He's unique. He's awesome. So what better way to help get him over to that next level and elevate him to to true singles babyface main event status by bringing in these guys putting him in the middle of a storyline against Triple H, against the Authority, where he has to fight them and battle back. You give him all these new bodies to work with, because, you know, after Rollins, what do you do with Ambrose? I mean, seriously, what what do you do with Dean Ambrose when this thing with Seth Rollins has run its course? Unless they throw him in there against Brock Lesnar, and, I mean, look, I wouldn't hate to see Brock Lesnar against Dean Ambrose, but to kind of sacrifice Ambrose on on Brock's road to WrestleMania, that aspect of it I don't like. You can almost build to an Ambrose-Brock match of Mania. Like, that should be the end game here. I don't want to see Brock just run through him like some, some, some body. You know, I'd rather they feed Big Show to Brock if that's what they're going to do. So this helps elevate Ambrose as much as it gets those guys on television and elevates them. But that's, that's the deal in terms of bringing them in. They're Triple H's boys. You know, now, now let me be clear here. I'm not talking about an invasion. No one is more sick of invasions in wrestling than me. They're not coming in to invade the company. Their mission is very clear. You know, why would those guys come in and debut as heels doing Triple H's bidding? Because they're Triple H guys. That's why. He's on Twitter taking selfies with them like like they're his stepchildren or something. There's your connection. Right there. Plain as day. A guy like Neville, who, who's probably better as a babyface, you know, you debut him as a heel... All of them, really. I mean, I think long-term they'd be huge as baby faces. So you debut them as heels, and you've got plenty of time for them to, to turn after a while, and they'll be huge. Guys like Neville, uh, Kenta, Kenta especially, who's still learning English. I mean, that's going to be a, a handicap for him when he makes it to TV. It's an easy way to hide the, the fact that he's not really that good yet at the language, is to make him the silent assassin as part of a group. He's the silent assassin who just kicks the shit out of people. And Neville, too. You know, he, he probably shouldn't speak that much, either. Uh, it's not exactly his strong suit. You could hide those weaknesses as part of a group. I just... 
They, they have all of this talent, a lot of which they don't need to spend six months or a year or two years down in developmental. They're down there, and meanwhile, you and I are sitting here through this garbage for three hours on Monday nights, just trying to make it through the show. It's just the same stuff over and over and over. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for a change. It's just an idea. Don't do it. Do something else. Whatever it is. Use an injury like this, or like Brian's, to elevate some new guys. Turn a negative into a positive. That's all I'm saying. So Reigns is out at Night of Champions. I figure they do something where Rollins comes out. Maybe he has the referee uh, count him out for the forfeit win, and he's all smiles because he knows that uh, he has no match. He's free and clear. Hey, maybe I'll even cash in later. Uh, Ambrose attacks him. Whether they have an actual match or not, I don't know. I figure, if anything, Ambrose kind of comes out of the crowd, attacks him. There's a big pull-apart brawl. And kind of like what they did, I guess, at Battleground, where they have a brawl, but they save the actual match for the next pay-per-view, and instead they build to a match inside the cell. Because this, this blood feud without blood... I still call it a blood feud, even though, you know, it's PG, but... This blood feud that's been going on now for months, this brother betraying his other brother, it would make sense to blow it off inside the cell. That's what Hell in a Cell should be used for. It should be used to, to blow off a really big feud, a really big rivalry. So that that's kind of how I see it going down. I think we'll see Ambrose tonight. I don't know if we actually get a match. Uh, we have the... Let's start from the bottom. Why don't we do that? We have Christian is back, although not wrestling. He's hosting a peep show on the pre-show. Peep show on pre-show. With Chris Jericho. It'll be nice to see him back. We have Mark Henry and Rusev. One-on-one. They actually ended the show on Monday night with a Mark Henry-Rusev segment. And I'll talk more about that in the Raw review. But it did not uh, turn out too well. So what do they do here? Is it time to just end the undefeated streak of Rusev? Is Mark Henry the right guy for the job? I say no. As, As much as they've built this guy up for months and months and months and months. And they've managed unlike Bo Dallas, to keep him undefeated, I just think it would be a complete waste to have Mark Henry be the first person to to end the streak. Because I figure they're building Rusev for an eventual match with John Cena. And if that's the goal, I hate to say it, but whoever the, uh, the, the guy is they have in mind, and if it is John Cena, then so be it, that should be the guy to beat Rusev. Not Mark Henry, or Jack Swagger, or Big Show, or any of these guys. Guys like Mark Henry and Big Show at this stage of the game should be used to build newer guys. Whether they end up getting over or not. If they're actually pushing somebody, then more power to them. I hope it works out. Mark Henry is not the guy who should be the one to end that streak. So I think uh, it'll be a competitive match. Maybe Rusev's toughest challenge to date. But they were teasing that he couldn't get the accolade on Mark Henry at the end of Raw Monday night. I think he does finally get it on him here. And Henry may tap out, he may pass out, but I think Rusev gets the win. The Usos against Goldust and Stardust for the tag team titles. Usos have been champions since, I believe, the beginning of March. That's a long time. And all those matches with the Wyatt family, and the Wyatt family lost every single time. And that shocked the hell out of me, because I thought for sure they were putting those belts on Harper and Rowan. I think they look at, at least Harper, I think they see a lot of potential in him, and I it's just dumbfounding to me, all the lo- the losing that the Wyatts have been doing of late. But now it's Goldust and Stardust. Who else is there to defend the tag titles against unless they promote the Ascension? There's been a lot of talk about the Ascension coming up. Now they've lost the NXT tag belts, which might make it a little bit easier to bring them up. 
And if they come up as heels, it would make sense to feud with baby faces. Goldust and Stardust are heels. Usos are baby faces. But having said that, I think we probably do see a tag team title change on this show. I think it's time. And so I think Goldust and Stardust are the new champs. Page, AJ Lee, and Nikki Bella. Three-way for the Divas Championship. A lot of people worried they're going to put the belt on Nikki Bella. And they could. They could very well put the belt on Nikki Bella and build to a championship match with her sister. I think that would be horrible. I think that would be a bad idea. And I think they realize that. And I think they can keep both feuds going. And what I mean is Paige and AJ and the Nikki Bree. Nikki Bree doesn't have to be for a belt. Nikki Bree can be independent of that. And in fact, I think Nikki... Uh, may end up having her championship dream shattered by her sister. Would not uh, be surprising at all to see Brie interfere in some way, distract her sister, cost her the title. I think in the end, Paige retains. Uh, Paige is 22 years old. She's already a two-time Divas champion. So how many times are you going to take the belt off her and put it back on, take it off, put it on? I think they got to keep the belt stable for a while, and I think Paige will uh, keep the championship. I think she retains. Sheamus and Cesaro for the United States Championship. It doesn't even matter. I mean, the U.S. title means less than dog dung at this point. Who could care? You know, if Cesaro wins the belt, which I don't think he is. I think Sheamus wins. I think he retains the U.S. title. If if Cesaro wins, it's not like it's going to mark the beginning of some big turnaround. Oh, they've put a belt on Cesaro, so they're going to give him a push. Cesaro was the United States Champion once before. Remember that? Some people might not even remember that. He was the champ for like 200 straight days or something. Didn't defend the title very often. Neither does Sheamus. That belt just does not get defended. But he was the U.S. champion, and the best thing he did in his entire time as U.S. champion were a bunch of these comedy vignettes on WWE's YouTube channel, where each city that they would travel to, he would go out on the street, like like kind of the, the old jaywalking segments on Jay Leno, man on the street type of stuff. He'd have the belt with him, and he would uh, interview locals in whatever city they were in, and he would make fun of them and mock them. It was great. It was great. It was the most personality I've seen from Cesaro his entire time in WWE, and he, he was genuinely funny. And I just remember thinking, why is this not on television? Why are these videos? They're not that long. They're like three, four minutes long. Why are these not on television? Why are these relegated to the YouTube channel? And I never did get an answer. I never could quite understand that. But he had uh, an otherwise pathetic U.S. title run. I almost felt like that belt dragged him down more than it elevated him. So I'm actually worried. I would be worried if Cesaro wins the championship here. Uh, I mean, he's kind of low on the totem pole as it is. I don't know how much lower the guy could go. Uh, But I don't think it does him any good. I really don't. I just think they need to just be motivated to push him. Uh, forget the U.S. title. He doesn't need it. Keep it on Sheamus. Let, 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 let's keep Sheamus at the level he's at. Cesaro, I think it would be more harm than good for him to win that belt. So I think Sheamus wins. I hope Sheamus wins. And it's very sad. It really is very sad to see what they've done with Cesaro since he won that battle royal at WrestleMania. Dolph Ziggler in the Miz for the Intercontinental Championship. It was really cool to see Dolph Ziggler get a big title win at SummerSlam. He's had about a month now as the Intercontinental Champion. Very uneventful. I think it's probably time to put the belt back on Miz. Not that I want to see it, but I think that's what they probably have in mind. And look, Miz is not awful at his character. I think in this douchebag, don't touch my face, don't touch my moneymaker, uh, I have a stunt double character, it kind of suits him. I think he, he plays the role well. It's it's a mid-card gimmick. 
I mean, it's absolutely not main event at all. So I'm not even saying that the, the current incarnation of The Miz is awful. But Ziggler's been getting quite a few wins on TV, clean pinfall wins. That tells me right there that the belt is probably coming back home to The Miz. And, you know, as the the douchebag intercontinental champion, it's, it's a gimmick we've seen before, going back to even Shawn Michaels when he was first starting out as a singles uh, pretty boy, all about his looks, very full of himself. People, you know, couldn't wait to see somebody take that title from him. It, it works for The Miz. So I figure they're probably putting the belt back on him, and that's and that's cool. Ziggler doesn't need to be the Intercontinental Champion. He's had the belt for a month. It really hasn't done anything for him at all. It's gotten him some TV time, which is cool. It's gotten him some mic time, which in theory is cool, although that segment a couple weeks ago with the, the fake photos on the Titantron was absolutely horrendous with that material. <laughs> probably didn't do him any favors. Uh, but I think uh, they probably do the title switch here. So I think Miz wins. And Chris Jericho and Randy Orton is also on the card. It'll be Jericho's last match. He's going away again. He's going back on tour with Fozzie. He even said that on his podcast on Wednesday. He said that this is it. This is the end of my run here. Uh, They could try to swerve everybody by having Jericho win, and then Orton maybe kills him after the match. They actually did that once before. Rob Van Dam was leaving. I think it was a match with RVD and Orton. And everybody knew that RVD was leaving, and I think they had RVD beat Orton, and then Orton, like, killed him, and they stretchered him out when the match was over. Maybe somebody can help me out. That That's what I remember, and maybe I'm off. If they could do something like that, what's the point? Nobody cares. Don't, don't, don't do any of this swerve nonsense. It's the guy's last match. Orton's going to be here. Jericho's not. I'm sure they'll have a, a, a really good match. There's no reason for Jericho to win. So Orton wins, and that brings us to the main event. Brock Lesnar and John Cena, rematch from SummerSlam for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Will they or won't they? Will they take the title off Brock one month later and put it right back on Cena, which would be reign number 16, which would tie WWE's fantasy number of reigns for Ric Flair? Uh, Or will they do the right thing, which is keep the belt on Brock and not just keep it on him tonight, but keep it on him through WrestleMania next year? And whether it's Reigns or Brian or Ambrose or whoever, have somebody uh, slay the beast on the biggest show of the year. That would be the story I would tell. And you can have John Cena lose straight up, move him into uh, a feud with somebody different, or you can build to a third match. I like the idea of actually ending this feud inside the cell. It would be nice for a change to have two Hell in a Cell matches on the same... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Same pay-per-view that really do make sense as as Hell in a Cell matches. You know, Brock and Cena, 
have their, their final match. The only way to contain them is inside the cage, like a couple of caged animals. You know, there, there's just something that feels right about putting Brock Lesnar inside a cage. And I already talked about Ambrose and Rollins, if that's the direction they go, and it would make sense to blow that off too in the cell. How do you get there? You can't have Brock Lesnar destroy John Cena two months in a row the way he did at SummerSlam. Cena has to be more competitive. He will be more competitive. It will be more like their, uh, I was going to say their first match, but uh, I I just think it'll be a more even-handed match. It won't be a squash. And so Brock may come close. There'll be some near falls. He may tease tapping out to the STF and all that kind of stuff. But I think if you're going to get to that third match, you've got to have some sort of indecisive finish. And I'm not a fan of that normally. I don't like fuck finishes or DQs and pay-per-view main events. But I think in this case, if you know, if they do it right, depending on how they do it, it could work. You know, it could be a case where these guys things just get out of hand at the end. You know, they've both kicked out of each other's finish. What do you do? It spills out of the ring into the crowd, down the aisle, on the stage. Maybe you set up a big stunt where you know Lesnar throws him through the screen. I don't know. You know, you come up with something like that that ends with both guys getting counted out or DQ'd or the match just gets thrown out and it's a big pull-apart brawl and referees are getting knocked down. I mean, you can do it in such a way where people won't be too offended by it if they've been treated to a great match. And I almost feel like that's the way to go uh, because you've got to get to that, that final match inside the cell somehow, but you can't just beat Cena clean. There's got to be some kind of controversy or some kind of disputed finish uh, to get to that that final match that Brock then wins, and that's an idea that I can that I can get behind. But in the end, Brock Lesnar should not lose the WWE Championship. Absolutely, under no circumstances should he win the title. And even the idea of Cena winning and Brock killing him dead after the match, and Rollins coming down to cash in. And I like Seth Rollins, and I hope when he cashes in, whenever that is, that he is successful. I don't want to see Rollins cash in on this show. It's just not the right time for that. And I worry that with Reigns' injury, whatever plans they may have had, they may be in panic mode right now and rewriting the show, which I'm sure is being rewritten anyway. And they may just say, well, we got to put the belt back on Cena. Or let's put the belt back on Cena and then get it right onto Rollins. And that way, you know, we've we've shaken things up and... Again, I'm looking for a shakeup. That's not exactly the shakeup I'm looking for from them because all you're doing is moving the belt from one guy to the next. I don't think much is going to really change. Uh, you know, would they have the guts to actually put the belt on Rollins and then do Rollins Ambrose for the championship at Hell in a Cell and make that the real main event? I admit that would be kind of cool, but I don't think they got the balls to do it. So no, I don't want to see them put the belt on Rollins for that reason because I don't trust that they would actually have the balls to do it. Could be a non-decision, whatever the finish is, my prediction, they do the right thing, and Brock Lesnar survives another month with the WWE Championship, as he should. So with those predictions out of the way, there was a go-home show to this pay-per-view. It was called Monday Night Raw this past week. It was live from Lafayette, Louisiana. I think the Lafayette crowd was in a coma all night. I can't say I blame them. I mean, you look at this show over the last three or four weeks... Uh, it's it's hard, you know, it's hard to really lay blame on the fans, you know, they can only really work with what they're given, they have not been given much. John Cena comes out at the beginning of the show, he kidnaps Paul Heyman, holds him hostage backstage, he gave Paul Heyman until halftime, without explaining what he meant by halftime, so I, like many of you, assumed that by halftime he meant 
9.30, although I guess this show usually goes overtime, so maybe 9.30, 9.45, he'd be coming back out with Paul. And in fact, that is not what he was referring to, but he did say he was giving Heyman until halftime to produce Brock Lesnar. If he does not produce Brock, he was going to kick Paul Heyman's ass. Uh, and all I could think, you know, looking back on this now, what, what they were actually trying to do here, which is get people tuning out of the football game at halftime to put USA Network on, all I could think is, why don't they just put a message on the scroll on the bottom of the screen that just says, turn on the football game, nothing to see here, during the first 90 minutes of Raw. Why, why don't they just do that? Just have John Cena look dead in the camera and go, okay, you could turn off now, and when the game goes to halftime, come on back. What a stupid thing to do. And I know why they did it. It was a ratings grab. It's not like I can't figure out why they did it. Doesn't make it any less stupid. So, yeah, that pissed me off. Chris Jericho and Kane opened the show. I had a, I had a pinch myself. I thought I was back in 1999 there for a second. Uh, remember Chris Jericho against the coffee-fearing Kane? That's how their feud started, by the way, back then. And it was actually in 2000. I couldn't believe how many of you guys corrected me on Twitter. I had like 10 or 12 people all at once. This flood of tweets. Well, Salamonster, it was actually 2000. Like, all these wrestling nerds. And I was just, I was like, you guys are great, because I'm a wrestling nerd too. And I just didn't know there were as many out there as me. But apparently there are. So that was, that was quite, uh, quite the sight to see all those tweets come in at once. Still some uh, long-time wrestling fans left. I don't know why. I have no idea why with the product they've been giving us, but there are quite a few long-time fans still out there. But yeah, that's how their feud started back then. They were backstage, and, and Kane turned, I think, or Jericho turned right into Kane, spilled coffee on him. And I think Jericho Jericho's line was actually great. It was like, he spills coffee on Kane, and then he, he kind of stops himself from laughing, and he says, oh, I'm sorry, Kane. He goes, I'm sorry, Kane. I hope I didn't burn you. It was so cheesy and so stupid, yet hilarious at the same time. But that's how their whole feud started. So we've come full circle now. 14 years later, these guys are opening up Monday Night Raw in a match. And it wasn't very good. It was actually kind of sloppy in points. I, I kind of liked it, in a way. I, I can't even tell you why. Um, I can't use the word stiff. Stiff's not the right word. There was something... Um, and I, I, I hate to use this word, because I'm really not trying to use it as a pun, but there was something kind of raw about the match. Like, it was a little uh, herky-jerky in some spots, but these guys were just in there, you know, beating the hell out of each other. And, I don't know, as a match, it was it was okay. It was kind of boring. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, horrible or anything like that. Jericho got the win, so he's got some momentum going into his match with Orton at the pay-per-view. We had Jack Swagger dispatching Bo Dallas with the ankle lock. Paige and Nikki Bella beat AJ Lee and Brie Bella. Diva Stopwatch had this at 2 minutes 59 seconds. Paige pinned Brie with the rampage. Paige and AJ did lots of skipping after the match, which annoyed Paige that AJ was mimicking her. Uh, somebody should point out to Paige the irony in that, given that Paige is mimicking AJ by doing her skipping in the first place. Uh, yeah, I'm reading these reports that they're they're going to ratchet up the lesbian factor on television between these two, make things more edgy. First of all, I'll believe it when I see it. But you know what? How about just telling a good story? How about that? Why don't you stop worrying about making things edgy? Because things will never truly be edgy on this show. It doesn't matter how edgy they try to get. They're always going to be handcuffed by the PG handcuffs. 
and by Mattel and all of the different sponsors. Like, things, they, they try so hard to, like, go back to the way things were 15 years ago. As long as their company directive is what it is, they can never go back to those times. So instead of trying to, like, shock us by having these two women pretend to be, you know, gay for each other, which is basically what they're trying to do here, instead of worrying about that, why don't you just have them tell a good story? Because these two women, they're two of the best that they've got. They can work. They're two of the more popular divas on the roster. And and people, I feel like, want to get into this, but it's been hard. There really hasn't been much to, to get into. Trish and Mickey, back in the day, they had a good story to it. You know, it was easy to follow. Psycho fan, fall, you know, fakes being in love with Trish to get in her head and take the championship. This, I don't know what this is. Who's the heel and who's the face? I, I just find both of them annoying in this feud. Paul Heyman did comedy backstage with the great Kali. The less said, the better. Big Show and Bray Wyatt had a match that bored me to tears. Harper and Rowan interfered for the predictable DQ about 45 minutes into this match. Big Show chokeslammed both of them after the match. Bray Wyatt, meanwhile, was in the aisleway, sitting in his rocking chair, watching this and cackling. And instead of going after this guy, a giant invisible force field rendered Big Show unable to exit the ring. And so instead, he stood there making a mean face. We see this in every WWE segment on on Raw every single week, but I'm picking on these two guys here because I just found the segment to be boring. Uh, So in case you couldn't tell, this show was ungodly boring at this point because they were waiting to deliver the good stuff at halftime. I take that as a giant fuck you to your loyal fans who have to sit through this shit. You know, it's like, like, fuck me? No, fuck you, WWE. Sheamus and the Usos beat Cesaro and the Dust Brothers after one of the Usos pinned Cesaro with the Samoan splash. Then came a lot of talking from the announcers, and we had a backstage segment, more talking. It was obvious they were stalling. They were waiting for halftime in the football game. Again, it's an FU to the fans watching when you do something like that. Uh, As soon as the game went to halftime, we had John Cena dragging Paul Heyman down to the ring. Heyman and Cena, you know, Heyman and Cena are fine in this role. Like, like the dialogue and their performance, it's fine. But, you know, Heyman said Cena wasn't going to do anything to him because he's not that kind of person. And after all this, Cena actually was going to let him off. He was going to walk away and leave him alone. And Heyman made a crack about his mom having a son with no testicles or something like that. And that was too much for Cena to bear. He shoved Heyman down to the mat. And as soon as he did that, cue Brock Lesnar. And I swear, this the show has a completely different feel to it whenever Brock shows up. And that's exactly why it's better that he doesn't appear on every single show. Because he'd lose that specialness in a heartbeat. Uh, Lesnar circled the ring like a shark. He got Heyman. Looked like they were just going to leave. He came back to the ring, a brawl broke out, Lesnar dropped Cena with a German suplex, Cena fought back, at one point Brock was covering up, so they wanted you to know that come Night of Champions, this match is going to be more competitive than what we saw at SummerSlam, I would hope so, I don't see how it can be any less competitive, unless Cena just forfeits before the match. Officials came down to break things up, this was the best thing on the entire show. We had our second Divas match of the night, with Naomi beating Cameron 4 minutes and 26 seconds, at one point... This, this was unbelievable. Cameron had Naomi on her stomach. And she admonished the referee for not counting. She wanted him to count the pinfall with her opponent laying flat on her stomach. Let me ask a question here. 
is her gimmick on Total Divas that she's really stupid? Or is it just that she's that stupid in real life? Because I don't watch the show. Maybe that's her gimmick. Maybe she's the dunce of the show. Dolph Ziggler and Pope D'Angelo De Niro beat The Miz and Damian Mizdow. That's who he looked like. R-Truth. He looked like Elijah Burke in this match. He was dressed as Dolph Ziggler's stunt double, R. Ziggler. I know he did it on SmackDown. He did it again here on Raw. He was wearing tights for the first time, probably in his entire career. Because I think back to when he was K-Quick in his first WWF run and when he was in TNA and when he came back. He's always worn pants. I've never seen him wear actual wrestling tights. He looked like Elijah Burke. Dolph pinned Miz with the zigzag to build to their match at Night of Champions. This gimmick is so stupid. You know, Miz Dow is somewhat entertaining, but R. Ziggler, I mean, oh my god. This is just death. And funny I should mention death. That brings us to Tom Phillips backstage interviewing Seth Rollins. Rollins is a good promo, but the dialogue they gave him, sweet Jesus. He compared Roman Reigns to a rhinoceros. He said, rhinos were stupid. And as somebody on Twitter said, somewhere in TNA there's a rhino weeping. Then he compared Reigns to a Neanderthal, called him a knuckle-dragger. And if that wasn't enough, he acted out what one would look like dragging its knuckles across the floor. He looked like a gorilla, making gorilla noises and jumping up and down. He was down on his knees. This was horrendous. I feel for these guys. I really do. I'm watching this, and I'm watching Seth Rollins, and I'm just thinking, man, I feel so bad for these guys. Because if these guys would have come along 10 to 15 years earlier, and they didn't have the handcuffs on them that they do right now, these guys would be megastars. They wouldn't just be stars. They would be megastars. This was awful. Just awful. Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns, because we were told Reigns simply could not wait until Night of Champions to get his hands on Seth Rollins. So, they agreed to book the match on Raw instead, except they are still wrestling on the pay-per-view, or at least they were wrestling on the pay-per-view. When they did this match, that was the plan. Those plans obviously are out the window now. And it's funny, you know, hindsight being what it is, I suppose it was good that they did the match when they did it, but it was just weird to give it away like that. And they gave us a clean finish, no less. Roman Reigns beat him fair and square with the spear right in the middle of the ring. One, two, three. Um, Just very weird to give us a clean finish in the match and then expect people to care about seeing the rematch six days later. Because on commentary, Michael Cole's like, what's going to happen in the rematch on Sunday? It's like, who gives a fuck? Who who cares? Who cares what happens in the rematch? I saw the babyface get the clean win. Who gives a shit? It's a good match. Just, I just don't understand what they were thinking when they did it, unless they had some inkling that Reigns had an injury and, you know, maybe something's going to happen. We probably should do the match now. Because the doctor, when they gave that breaking news update on the network, the doctor did say uh, it wasn't an injury that happened in the ring. It was something that Reigns has been dealing with for a while. So whether that means Reigns was dealing with something he didn't tell anybody about until now or if the medical staff knew something was up with this guy, that we don't know. And as weird as it was to give that match away on Monday night, even weirder is the fact that they ended the show with Mark Henry rallying America, which I'm sure resulted in thousands of Canadians and UK viewers watching this at 3 a.m. clicking the off button on their remote control. Uh, They handed out tiny American flags to everybody in the crowd, so they copied TNA for a change. I still have my little flag from when they handed them out to all of us at the tapings last month, when uh, Chris Melendez made his debut. Uh, I wanted to give this a chance, just because Mark Henry gave us that 
awesome, awesome fake retirement speech last year on Raw. One of the all-time great promos, in my opinion, on that show. And so I thought he might have another one in him. He might have another great promo up his sleeve if they just let him go out there and he shows fire and passion and he really just... I mean, we saw Mark Henry show some fire and passion a couple of weeks ago when he came out. I thought he actually did pretty good in his promo. Uh, So I thought, wow, they're giving this guy the main event. They must really have something special planned. Nope. Nope. He was out there. Uh, He had nothing to work with. He stuck to the lame, scripted nonsense that they gave him and fans shit all over it with what chance. Totally uninspired. No fire or power. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Passion from Henry at all. It was like he was trying to remember his lines. And that sucks. You know, when the guy is out there, and instead of just going out there and speaking what's on his mind and showing whatever fire he may have in him, he's like, i got to remember what I'm supposed to say. It's like, that sucks. And we end up with promos like the one we got here. Lana and Rusev came out. She said Mark Henry failed at the 1992 Olympics. And then Rusev and Henry got into a brawl. He tried for the accolade. Henry powered out of it, threw Rusev out of the ring, and then he waved an American flag to end the show. I appreciate them trying something different. It was nice not having, you know, John Cena in the main event of Raw. It was something different. It wasn't the authority. But this just didn't work for me. It it just didn't work. So we end up with no NXT match this week, which I I guess maybe it was the go-home show and they just wanted to focus on on pay-per-view stuff, which makes sense. But it hurt the show. I mean, boy, this, this show could have used those NXT guys this week. Not a terrible show. Uh, you know, I mean, it wasn't as bad as the, the season finale of Raw from a few weeks ago, but this failed as a go-home show. It failed to get me excited in the pay-per-view. Aside from Cena Brock, which I was already excited for, it's the only match I care about, really, on this show. It was just mostly a very dull three hours. There is a great interview, if you missed it, I linked to it on Twitter and Facebook during the week on WWE.com with Adrian Neville, Sami Zayn, Kenta, Fergal Devitt, and Kevin Steen. They got them together in roundtable format. It's a written interview. It's not on video or anything. Uh, But it's great. It's a great read. uh, Some great insight into these guys, their mentality. Learned some things also that uh, didn't know before. Sami Zayn taking a real... Uh, leadership position. You know, some of the things that Sami Zayn said actually during the interview has me a little worried about him because I could see where he could be the kind of guy who means well but says things that rub people the wrong way and gets buried for it. And I, I hope not. I hope he knows how to play the game. 
but it was just very weird to to read this interview and hear all these different names mentioned, from John Moxley to Adam Cole and Kota Ibushi, who they think would be a great fit for WWE. And I agree, he'd be another great foreign talent to bring over. Uh, it's a great interview, so check it out. NXT this week had a special appearance to open the show by Titus O'Neil. He was in the house. He came up to well, he came out, I should say, to welcome us to NXTITUS. That's a mouthful. I, I would not advocate renaming the show that. Sami Zayn came out to tease Titus about being humiliated week after week on television by a bunny, which is made even funnier by the reports that Sami Zayn is actually the the dude in the bunny suit. <laughs> At least last week he was. Adrian Neville came out. Uh, he said if anybody's going to stand up for NXT against Titus, who was, you know, he was trashing NXT. And Neville said if anybody's going to stand up for the brand, it's going to be the NXT champion. And that brought out Tyson Kidd. He came out to educate us with some of his facts. Zayn told Neville he respects him for winning their four-way match at TakeOver, but morally... He would not have done the same thing that Adrian Neville did to win that match. And I, I say that if you're going to succeed in wrestling by doing the moral thing, my friend, you won't get very far. And Adrian Neville agreed with that. He told Sami Zayn, that's why you'll never be NXT champion. This all ended with GM William Regal coming out, channeling his inner Teddy Long and making a tag team main event of Titus O'Neil and Tyson Kidd against Adrian Neville and Sami Zayn. I, I did not like this segment because... NXT barely goes a full hour. There are some weeks it goes 50 minutes, and I I like that. But it doesn't even go a full hour. And the first 10 minutes of this show were taken up by your typical Raw opening segment. Lots of talking. One guy comes out, then another guy, then another, and another. And here's the authority figure to book the match, which should have already been booked before they went on the air in the first place. I don't want to see this on my NXT. Keep that on Raw. I don't want to see it on Raw. But you know what? Keep it there. I don't want to see this on the show. Charlotte beat Emma in a non-title match with Natural Selection, which is the new name of her cutter. Nice to see Emma back on NXT. Otherwise, this was not good. She uh, she just did not look good in this match. Very sloppy, slow. Uh, nowhere near as over as she used to be in that NXT arena. They, they've really, whatever she had, they've just beaten it out of her. Uh, and, you know, the whole thing with the, the shoplifting, and that didn't help. But you know what? She's too talented to just do nothing with her. So they brought her here. She did the job for Charlotte. And I would like to see that be maybe the start of a turnaround for her where, whether it's on NXT or the main roster, I'd be perfectly content if she started wrestling more often down on NXT and tried to get back some of what she's lost because she's she's good. You know, don't let the dancing bullshit fool you. She's actually a really good wrestler, and she had some great matches before with Paige and some of the other women on the roster. So I'd like to see her get some of that back. It's just very sad for me to see where she's at these days. We had Kenta's long-anticipated in-ring WWE debut as Hideo Itami against Justin Gabriel, who I think was probably the perfect opponent for him. I like Itami's music, by the way. I think it suits him well. Gabriel, he got a lot more offense than I thought he would. It was actually a pretty evenly balanced match. Both guys got to show off their stuff. Uh, he did execute. Uh, Atami did. Atami, his offense consisted mostly of kicks, so no real surprise there. Uh, he executed a springboard drop kick from the apron to the top rope, 
on Justin Gabriel. The problem is it looked like he didn't time it or he didn't come off right. Uh, he got Gabriel low. So he did get him, but that could have ended up being way more embarrassing than it was. Uh, on commentary, Renee Young said that Itami was trained by, and I quote, the great Kobashi. Is that like the great Muda? You know, Kobashi is quite great. I can't really argue with her on that, but I, I don't know. <laughs> Just the way she said it, I laughed when she said it. The great Kobashi. From now on, I want people to call me the great Solomonster. Let's see how long that lasts. Itami won, uh, not with the go to sleep. So all you people thinking that because uh, Punk and WWE are on bad terms, they're going to stick it to him by giving uh, Kenta his move back. Not the case. And probably for the better, because let's be honest. Even if WWE was okay with him using the GTS, and maybe they were. I, I probably, I figure they weren't, but even if they were, he starts using that move, this poor bastard's going to get CM Punk chants nonstop during his matches. You know, somebody on Twitter asked me, do I think the CM Punk chants will ever stop? You know, do I think the WWE fans will stop chanting for CM Punk? And I said, you know, as far as I know, they have not yet discovered a cure for brain damage, so the answer is no. Why encourage it? Why encourage it more than the, than it's already done? Let the guy come up with a new move. He's talented enough. He's probably got a million moves he can come up with. And the move that he used was a double foot stomp off the top rope, which is actually one of the moves that Devitt is known for. Uh, or I should say Devitt was known for. Probably not after this. Crowd chanted Hideo, Hideo, when the match was over. So I like that they've already taken to the new name. I thought it was a good debut. Not great, but I thought it was good. Uh, the Ascension attacked him after the match. They laid him out with the Fall of Man as retribution for what he did to them at TakeOver. As long as he comes back and beats one of them, or both of them in singles matches, it's all good. So I was not worried by the post-match attack. It sets up something for him to do, whether it's next week or the week after. He'll probably have a match with Rick Victor. Uh, I imagine he'd probably work better with Victor than he would with Connor. Uh, but as long as he comes back and he kicks ass, that's okay with me. Baron Corbin squashed C.J. Parker second straight week. This guy is just winning me over week after week. All, all you got to do is put somebody out there, beat the shit out of C.J. Parker, and I'm an instant fan. Uh, he won with his swinging downward spiral move. Looked just as impressive as it did the week before. We had a pre-tape from earlier in the day with Big Kaz filming Enzo training at the Performance Center. Carmella showed up claimed that she was fired from her job at the beauty salon after that stunt with the hair cream and the dog a couple weeks back. So now she wants a job as a fighter. That's what she said. She wants to fight. So it does look like they're going to probably put the three of them together as a unit. Uh, I like it. I like Carmella. She's hot. She plays her character well. And apparently her father was a WWF jobber in the 90s, so she's got that connection to the wrestling business. Uh, how good of a wrestler she is, that I have no idea. I think we'll find out pretty soon how good she is or how, I don't want to say how terrible she is. I mean, she's new to this. I don't expect her to be great, but we'll we'll soon find out what kind of skill she has inside the ring. Right now, though, in terms of the character, I think she's she's been fantastic. Main event was Titus O'Neil and Tyson Kidd against Neville and Zayn. This was all about building tension between Neville and Zayn uh, for an eventual match. I, I It was a game of one-upsmanship. That's the best way to put it. Early on, we had Sami Zayn doing... A standing moonsault in the ring, which is a move we've seen Adrian Neville do before. Uh, Neville got the tag, and he goes, all right, you want to do that? I'll show you. And he executed a standing corkscrew moonsault. I think I've seen him do that once before, but 
as I find myself whenever I watch Adrian Neville and he pulls off a move like that, I'm just watching him and I'm like, how does he do that? How does he do that? That's why this guy's going to get over. It doesn't matter if he's small, if he's got big floppy ears, he looks like a hobbit. You know, they could they could say whatever they want about the guy. He's going to get over because he is probably the most spectacular wrestler on the entire roster, main roster or NXT. And I know we haven't seen Devitt debut yet, okay? There, there's still some talent there that are in the pipeline, but he is the most spectacular performer they have. And just that one match that he had on Raw a few weeks ago, and the crowd was kind of dead, but when he pulled off that red arrow in the end, I tell you, go back and look at the reactions, the facial reactions of some of the people in the crowd. They were mesmerized by it. There is no better, more spectacular finish than the Red Arrow. The guy's awesome. So yeah, he did the standing corkscrew moonsault, and uh, it makes you wonder, you know, it makes you wonder what he's holding back. What other what other moves that he hasn't even showed us yet? Heels beat down Zane for a long time. Finally, he got the hot tag to Neville. He ran wild. He went for the Red Arrow, but the referee was occupied with Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn was, was fighting with uh, whoever the other illegal man in the ring was. And the referee was trying to get him to go back in his corner. And so that allowed Titus O'Neil to shove Neville off the top rope. He landed right on Tyson Kidd's knees. Kidd pinned him. He celebrated. So there's trouble brewing between Neville and Zane. Hopefully they can hold off on the match until the December show. I still think they build to a big championship match in December. And, and that could be where Sami Zayn gets his big title win. So next week, the Ascension get their rematch against the Lucha Dragons for the tag team titles. I would expect Itami to probably be involved in the finish in some way. We needed a come down from TakeOver the week before. I don't think anybody expected this show to be at the same level as TakeOver. So as an hour-long show advancing the storylines and, and you know showcasing some of their new characters, whether it's Corbin or Itami, I thought the show was fine. Again, it's the easiest hour, the least offensive, <laughs> least stressful hour of pro wrestling you're going to find each and every week. So if you're not watching NXT, you're really missing out. Thank you guys for taking time out of your day to listen to the sound off. I get questions from people asking, how can I support the podcast? Well, the best way to support the show is simple. Just keep listening each and every week. Keep spreading the word about it to friends and family and retweet or share links to the episodes on Twitter and Facebook. But beyond that, you can contribute by making a PayPal donation or by signing up for a free 30-day trial of the audible.com service. Making a PayPal donation is simple. Just log on to the Solomonster.com and you'll see the PayPal donation box on the right-hand side of the page. Enter whatever amount you'd like and click the Make a Donation button. That's it. Or sign up for a free Audible trial by entering our custom URL, audibletrial.com slash Solomonster. From there, you can sign up free for 30 days, which helps us out. You get one free audiobook as part of your trial that you get to keep no matter what. You can browse through their library of over 150,000 titles. Listen to your books at home, on the commute to work, at the gym, whenever, wherever. Sign up at audibletrial.com slash Solomonster or visit thesolomonster.com to make a donation right now. And thank you for supporting the sound off. And now to the enigma that is TNA wrestling. I, I all but given up on trying to figure out why these people do the things that they do. And I'm going to get into a lot of spoiler stuff here at the beginning. So if you are... Uh, the kind of person who does not want to hear about spoilers for upcoming episodes of Impact, because now they've taped episodes through mid-November. So there's a lot of stuff that's happened. I'm not going through all the spoilers, but if you don't want to know anything, you might want to skip ahead by a good ten minutes or so. Uh, And I also want to just mention here that it is entirely possible, in fact it's likely, that a lot of the stuff they've taped 
is going to be airing out of order. So there is the possibility that some of the stuff I'm going to be talking about here could air on television before Bound for Glory, which is coming up on October 12th, Okay, less than a month away. But that's not the impression that I have. The impression I have is that a lot of the stuff we've all heard about that's been taped is airing post-Bound for Glory. So late October, early November. But just keep that in mind. So you've been warned. At the Impact tapings in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania on Thursday night, Bobby Roode beat Lashley with Kurt Angle as the guest referee to win the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. And good for him. I'm a a big Bobby Roode fan. I'm a fan of uh, lots of TNA originals. Bobby Roode, Austin Aries, Samoa Joe. But this is just all kinds of screwed up. First of all, I'm very sad to see them take the title off Lashley. Just like I would be very sad to see WWE take the title off Brock Lesnar tonight. I think much like with Lesnar, TNA had their own version of what Brock is in WWE. They had a big jacked up dude, a monster of a man, who happens to have an MMA background and an amateur wrestling background, who is probably the realest thing that they've had. Is probably the most... Uh, I mean, they call him, you know, the, the dominator. What, what do they call him? The, the destroyer. They call him the destroyer. But it fits. He probably is the most impressive TNA champion in terms of just having this monster that steamrolls through everybody on the roster. They, they, they've never had a champion like that before. Jeff Jarrett wasn't that kind of champion. Bobby Roode wasn't that kind of champion. Kurt Angle, I guess maybe you could say Kurt Angle was, although even Kurt Angle wasn't nearly as dominant, I think, as, as Lashley has been. Lashley has been booked perfectly as the TNA champion. And it's a far cry from what they had earlier in the year with Magnus and EY. Okay, It was nice. They were finally doing something right. And he just had uh, an MMA fight. He won his very first Bellator fight only a few weeks ago. Had he lost that fight, I would totally understand it if they wanted to take the title off him. Well, this guy got his ass kicked against a scrub in an MMA fight. We, we can't have our champion, you know, be, be somebody like that. We got to get the belt off him. Fine. But he won. It just added to the aura of this destroyer character that they've come up with for Lashley. They've had MVP out there doing the talking for him, which is exactly what needs to be done. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Because Lashley should not be left to his own devices to cut promos. I mean, everything they could be doing right with the guy they were doing. It was nice to see. The other problem is, we just saw Lashley pin Rude clean on impact this week. It was the main event of, of No Surrender on Wednesday night 
was Bobby Lashley and Bobby Roode for the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. They had a hell of a match, and Lashley won clean with a spear, right in the middle. No interference, no chicanery, distractions, screw job finish, nothing. Beat the guy clean. Just like he's beaten Eric Young, Jeff Hardy, Austin Aries, Samoa Joe, all on free TV. They ran through at least six months of matches and storylines in two months. Oh, realistically, it's more like a a year. But this is TNA, so six months sounds about right. That was the question I was asking myself when Impact went off the air on Wednesday night. Now what? Who's next? Do you start to turn MVP against him and have Lashley go face and do a match with them? You could, but I would hate to break the two of them up. I think it would be a bad move for Lashley if they did that. So nothing was clear after that show on Wednesday night, except that we know that their biggest show of the year, Bound for Glory, is on pay-per-view October 12th from Japan, and they have exactly zero matches announced for it. They haven't even so much as teased the match for that show. So they do these tapings, and I read that Bobby Roode has beaten Lashley to win the world title, and I'm just sitting there bewildered. You know, not so much that they would take the title off Lashley. I mean, that's just dumb. I wouldn't have done that. But I figured if they were going to build to Lashley against whoever at Bound for Glory, yeah, we might get a title change at their biggest show of the year. That's not exactly shocking. But... The fact that they would do a title change on an episode of Impact that I don't think is airing until after Bound for Glory. I mean, I've heard different dates for when the match is going to air. I've heard October 15th, which is only three days later. I think that's the Impact right after Bound for Glory. I've heard October 29th, which I think is the more likely date for it. Why would you do that? It's 2014. It's not as though people aren't going to know, hey, that's that guy's walking around with the title and he's not even the champion anymore. I, I would wager a bet that a good part of TNA's audience knows about these tapings. Okay, That's really all they have left of the hardcores. The hardcores know everything. So are they just not going to send Lashley to Japan? Are they going to send him with the belt and act like he's still the champion? Which they used to do rest, you know, in wrestling companies back in the day. They used to do that all the time, but you can get away with that. If there was a title change on a show that wasn't going to air for another three weeks or four weeks, you know, it didn't matter because most people, except the people in the building that night, would never know. You can't do that today. From the looks of it, they're not going to have any championship matches at Bound for Glory. Not one. It's just, it's baffling to me. You change your world title on TV before your biggest pay-per-view of the year. One of the few pay-per-views they have left. They only have like four or five shows, I think, left. And the title change won't even air until after the show. And if the idea was to put the belt on Bobby Roode anyway, then why the hell would you have Lashley beat him clean this week on television? It's like Roman Reigns beating Seth Rollins on Raw Monday night. I don't know what they did and didn't know about Roman Reigns' hernia okay, going into that match. Maybe they knew more than we know. But why give that match away on TV and then say, what's going to happen in the rematch on Sunday? Who cares? Who cares? If Seth Rollins won that match on Monday night, hooked the tights or, or whatever, th- there's at least a reason for people to want to see Roman Reigns kick his ass on Sunday. Roman Reigns just beat him clean, just like Bobby Lashley beat Bobby Roode clean. It's a great match. Why should I care? 
Why would you even do that? So some of these other tapings here. Samoa Joe vacated the X Division title, uh, suffered a legit injury. I'm not quite sure what the injury is, but he suffered it at one of the uh, tapings this past week. Uh, He wanted to go. They wouldn't let him. So they did a multi-man match, low-key one, so he is the new X Division champion. Second title to change hands on these tapings. Taryn Terrell beat Havoc and Gail Kim in a three-way match to win the Knockouts title. Yes, only a few days after winning the title, because Havoc beat Gail Kim earlier in the week to become the new Knockouts champion. And on that taping, Taryn Terrell beat Havoc and Gail Kim to win the title from Havoc. You following here? Have I lost you yet? Good. So Taryn Terrell is the new Knockouts champion. So... That makes Havoc a transitional champion, just to get the belt on to Taron. have no idea why they would have done that. Not a clue. I, I can't even begin to figure it out. And to top it all off, and by the way, that's title number three. If you're keeping track here, that changed hands. To top it all off, after weeks and weeks of these great matches in this tag team title series with the Wolves and the Hardys and Team 3D putting over the Wolves as the next great tag team of this generation and the Wolves winning the series. They lost the tag team titles to the brand new team of James Storm and Abyss. After all that, they took the titles right off them. I have no idea what's going on anymore. Uh, And and frankly, it's hard to care. I'm not going to rant and rave because who could care? Who could care anymore? They had yet another hardcore match at the tapings. Bram beat Tommy fucking Dreamer. Magnus got involved. And Al Snow made the save. Tommy Dreamer and Al Snow. I thought once they left New York City, we'd be done with the hardcore shit and the ECW nostalgia. But apparently I was wrong. So that's every title. Every belt in the company has now changed hands before Bound for Glory. Bully Ray was at the tapings. He supposedly struck a deal for for those dates. I think he'll be at Bound for Glory for the Hall of Fame induction for Team 3D. Devon's contract with the company is up as of Bound for Glory as well. So it's entirely possible that after that, Bully and Devon are going to be gone. Bully has not signed a new long-term contract. Whatever he signed was short-term. He is not back with TNA. He's probably going to end up being gone after the uh, the pay-per-view on the 12th. So that's where we're at right now with TNA. Still no word on a TV deal. Uh, Some murmurs that there may be some kind of announcement on the TV front coming up this week. Uh, We've heard that time and again for how many months now, so I'll believe it when I see it. Look, I don't have a doubt that TNA probably either has or will reach a deal with some network. The question is what network and what kind of deal are they getting? Because this is a company that is not doing well. It It is sick. It is on life support. And without the money to pay people, it's going to be real hard, I think, for them to go on, at least in its current incarnation. If TNA continues and they get a deal, but that deal is half or less than half of what they had from Spike, I think we're going to see a very different TNA over the next six months. And it's going to contract and get even smaller and smaller. You know, And I saw some of those photos from the TV tapings in Bethlehem this week, 200 people. You know, it's sad. It's sad. And it just seems to me like they're throwing shit at a wall to see what sticks. Changing every title in the company. No matches announced for this pay-per-view. You know, 
maybe they've got some kind of special idea for Bound for Glory because it, again, it's a joint production of TNA and the Great Muda's Wrestle One promotion. There's going to be a lot of Japanese talent on that show. Maybe it's some sort of interpromotional thing, and it has nothing to do with titles. It would be nice if they if they actually announced that and they let people know, but they haven't said word one about any of this, and it makes you wonder why are they even going to Japan. Even if Wrestle 1 is covering the cost of production, which from what I had read, they are. Wrestle 1 is also footing the bill for, for a lot of the stuff and production. Okay, But TNA still has to fly its own talent out there. That's a lot of talent to fly overseas to Japan. I, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. It's almost like a vanity project. Like, we're going to go to Japan, and so it's going to make us look like uh, we're a lot bigger than we are, and we're trying to be different and bold. And Look, when they made the announcement at first, I thought it was kind of cool going to Japan for a big show. I wish WWE would take some of their big pay-per-views and go back to the UK or go to Japan and not just go for house shows, you know, or tie it into the network somehow, make it a network-exclusive type show for for the people who are are subscribers. I wish they would do more of that. But I'd love to know what TNA is expecting to get out of this because I just don't see see it as being worthwhile for them to go over there at this point. And it's incredible to me that the show is three weeks away – their supposed biggest show of the year, and and to see what's going on right now, it's just it makes you scratch your head. And and to go back to the tapings for a second here before we get into No Surrender from Wednesday, which I actually thought was a good show. The uh, at the tapings, we had the debut of Brodus Clay, who is now under contract in TNA, contract of of some kind. Who knows if it's a per appearance deal? He is going by the name of Tyrus, I guess, as in Tyrannosaurus Rex. He is the new heavy for EC3, and it looks like they've split Ethan Carter and Rockstar Spud up as a unit, which makes me very sad. Uh, you could kind of tell they were going in that direction of late. EC3 has been pushing Spud around, and you know I get that they want people to take him more seriously. If that's the goal, it probably was smart to start to distance him from from Rockstar Spud, but you put him with Brodus Clay. So now Brodus Clay is his, I guess he's the, his bodyguard. I don't even know what Brodus's role really is because they already wrestled the match together as a team. I think it was EC3 and, and Tyrus against the Hardys, and they lost. They're already losers. So I don't know what the hell they're doing, but they brought him in, you know, whatever. I mean, I can't fault him for it. That's probably the best role for him, in all honesty, because he's not a very good wrestler. But you bring him in... As a bodyguard, which is what he used to be for Snoop Dogg. He used to be Snoop Dogg's bodyguard. He's a pretty good talker. It, it could work. It could work. But I'm very sad that they seem to have... Uh, not only have they split up Rockstar Spud and EC3, it looks like they put Rockstar Spud with Eric Young, which I, I don't know about that. I guess we'll have to see how it plays out on television. But you read these results, and it just reads like a company that doesn't know what they're doing. They're just desperate to get something going, and they're just flailing, you know, they're like, they're in the ocean flailing their arms around, hoping somebody saves them. They're just waiting for somebody to throw them a lifeline, and they're they're trying to doggy paddle, and they're flailing their arms around, and they're just not moving. They're just kind of, they're just kind of there. That That's what TNA reminds me of right now. No Surrender on Wednesday night, open with a knockouts battle royal. Havoc was in there, along with Angelina Love, Velvet Sky, Madison Rain, Brittany Rebel, and Taryn Terrell. So seven knockouts in total. This is the match where Rebel broke her arm. She got dumped out by Havoc, and she landed awkwardly on top of the steel steps, and she immediately grabbed her wrist. Uh, only her second match, too, and she broke her arm. Came down to Havoc and Velvet. Velvet got dumped. Uh, and I have to say it, Havoc 
did not impress me here. Uh, just a boring match, and Havoc did not look good at all. She was just kind of there. She didn't really do much. You know, maybe that's what the character calls for, but I, I wasn't familiar with any of her pre-TNA work. So I saw this, and I was not impressed, and I decided I was going to go on YouTube and watch some of her matches on there from the independent scene. I thought, you know, maybe she's a lot better than this, but this was just a bad representation of her skills. Not really. I watched a few matches. I, I watched one that she had with Rebby Sky from a couple years ago, and there were like two other matches of hers I watched. She's average. You know, she's average. And this match here did nothing to change my opinion of her. MVP and Kenny King came down to the ring. They all uh, called out Sergeant Chris Melendez, put him over as being an American hero. He offered to let Chris join their little group. Kenny King said, yeah, you can carry our bags. And Melendez turned them down. Kenny King then called him Pegleg, called a referee down so they could have a match. MVP cheap shot at Melendez on his way out of the ring. Kenny King took most of the match because, like I said last week, Melendez can't really do much. It's not just that he's got the one leg. He's very green. He's still very new to all this uh, and really probably has no business being on television so soon. What You know what, what they should have done is debut him on TV, Okay, the way they did a few weeks ago, last month I think it was, as a member of the roster. I was there that night. I was at the tapings when he came out. It was this great celebration. Everybody had the little American flags. Kurt Angle was in the ring. The Dudleys were in the ring. Mr. Anderson, who's a military guy. Do that, okay? Debut him on TV as a, a, a member of the, the TNA roster, the newest member. Get all the publicity you could get out of it in New York, and then send him down to their developmental league, whatever it is. Do, do they even have a developmental system anymore? I know their deal with OVW ended a while ago. Do they even have one? I don't even think they do. Well, whatever. Let, let him work house shows or something. But let him get six months or a year of experience under his belt before you debut him in the ring on television. But, you know, this is TNA. Who knows if they'll even be around six months from now. So they can't afford to wait around on stuff like that. So they just put the guy on TV right away. So anyway, Melendez got the win with a sunset flip. He escaped Kenny King's uh, attempt at a royal flush. So another fluky win for the guy. After the match, King attacked him, tried to rip off his prosthetic leg before Mr. Anderson ran down to make the save. Boy, they didn't waste any time with uh, having a heel try to rip off the dude's leg now, did they? Right to final jeopardy. You, uh, you look at those taping results I talked about earlier, and that's kind of the state of TNA right now. You don't build anything. You just do it. Samoa Joe beat Homicide to retain his X Division title. Uh, people are going to hate me for saying this, but I didn't like this match at all. Aside from the finish, I thought that was good, the way Homicide went for an RKO. Uh, but on his way down, Joe locked him in the choke. He got the tap out. Aside from that, I, I thought the match was just in slow motion. Really, really disappointing for what it could have been. Afterwards, James Storm and uh, Sonata ran in to attack both guys. Manic came out dressed as Sub-Zero from Mortal Kombat and gave Homicide a frog splash, so Storm has himself a little stable. The Wolves beat the Hardys and Team 3D in a three-way ladder match to hold on to their TNA World Tag Team titles, nodding up their series at one win apiece, so there will be a fourth match. Incredibly, it will air on Impact next month, not at Bound for Glory. This was an excellent match. Non-stop action. They finally lived up to the company's name for a change. Uh, too much action to recap here. Finish saw Jeff Hardy and Eddie Edwards climbing up two separate ladders trying to grab the belts. Davey Richards... 
uh, grabbed the ladder that Jeff was on and kind of jerked it out from underneath him. And Jeff landed badly on top of the ladder. It was a, a nasty-looking spot. That gave Eddie Edwards the chance to climb up, grab the belt, so the Wolves win. Excellent match. Excellent match. Bram beat Gunner with a cradle after Sam Shaw ran in to help Gunner, who was selling a knee injury. And remember, if Gunner appears injured, Sam Shaw freaks the hell out. Only when he went in, he hit Gunner by accident. And then he got thrown out of the ring by Bram, who got the pin. This storyline is stupid and I... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I don't like it. And the main event was Lashley and Bobby Roode for the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. Another excellent match. Two uh, two on the same show. Makes this a very good show. I can't hate on No Surrender this week. It was a good show. Uh, they gave these guys time, too. That's something you don't see usually on Impact. This match went over 15 minutes. Roode got to kick out of Lashley's spear, which nobody else has been able to do so far. Roode hit the Roode bomb, but Lashley kicked out of that. He tried another Rude Bomb later on. Lashley, uh, he had the ropes, and so Bobby Rude just dumps him out to the floor. He basically gave him a Rude Bomb to the outside, and Lashley went splat right on the floor. That was a, a, a big bump for that guy to take. He laid there like he was dead, probably because he was. Rude did bring him back inside because he's smart enough to know that the title cannot change hands on a countout. And Lashley went for another spear a little bit later on. Rude leapfrogged him when he came down, though he grabbed his knee. He ended up getting speared again, and this time he did not kick out. Another big win for Lashley. I said earlier, I was left thinking, who else is left for this guy? And if you know the spoilers, you know who. Just dumbfounding the way they handled it. Speaking of dumbfounding, we're not done with TNA yet. There was a huge story on TNA that appeared on the Grantland website this past week. And they interviewed a a bunch of different people, all the key players. Dixie Carter was interviewed. Jeff Jarrett was interviewed. AJ Styles. uh, They interviewed some other former TNA talent. Vince Russo was interviewed. They wanted to interview uh, Eric Bischoff, but he said he couldn't couldn't talk. Uh, Jim Cornette was interviewed. So a lot of the key players currently and from the past in TNA were interviewed. I think by and large it was it sounded pretty accurate. Um, th- there were certain things that were said that made me shake my head. But what I want to do here really quick, I pulled some of the more interesting excerpts, some of the more interesting quotes from this article, and I'll just read through the, uh, the quotes here that I pulled out. There's one part of the article that, and this is in reference to Dixie Carter, she craves stability in addition to more hours of programming, And Dixie said, we will die a slow death on the vine if we just stay as one two-hour show in the U.S. I have big decisions to make. I want this to be a big play. I don't want this to be a status quo play. And that's the first time Dixie Carter has ever publicly admitted that if Impact stays as it is, as one show that airs once a week, TNA will die. And that's pretty incredible to hear her on the record saying something like that. And even more incredible is what she's talking about is 
in her mind, TNA needs more programming. Having the one two-hour episode of Impact each week is not enough. They need another show, at least one other show. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I think they need to... They have a lot of bigger problems to deal with than not having enough televisions. For example, possibly not having any television soon. That might be something she should pay more attention to. Uh, but it's still, very interesting thing for her to say publicly. I've never heard her say that before. This was another interesting excerpt. The uh, writer said, In the past 14 months, Bruce Prichard, Eric Bischoff, Hulk Hogan, and Vince Russo, men with historically successful track records who were responsible for the majority of the promotion storylines, have exited. Well, that's funny. I mean, if you're talking about Vince Russo from the Attitude Era, so like a three-year period, then sure. He, he was very successful. Uh, I tend to look at the bigger picture here and say, we can't focus on the one good little part of somebody's career. You need to look at their career in full. So if we're talking about Vince Russo, yes, he had three very successful years as the lead writer in WWE working under Vince McMahon during the Attitude Era. Absolutely. But he also had a few years in WCW that didn't exactly go well, and he had a hell of a long time in TNA. I don't know what the total number of years Russo spent in TNA is, because he was off and on from the beginning until just very recently. It's got to be at least seven or eight years that he spent all told as the head writer or in that whatever position of uh, creative in TNA. And to say that he had uh, historically a successful track record is stretching the truth quite a bit. And you can say the same thing about Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff, look, if it wasn't for Eric Bischoff, there may not have been uh, a Monday Night Wars. In fact, there probably wouldn't have been a Monday Night Wars. He was kind of the catalyst there that got that going. He got the primetime television from Ted Turner on Monday nights. He had the checkbook. He started bringing in guys. He had the NWO idea that he had seen in Japan, and he made it work here. All of that, Bischoff did, absolutely. But again, Bischoff's success came over a two- to three-year period in WCW. Eric Bischoff had been in power. uh, You know, He had been in, in WCW for a number of years before the NWO and before Nitro became a thing. And then again, when the NWO ran its course, Bischoff, you know, he left or was fired, but he came back. He was working with Russo at one point. So he came back to WCW, couldn't get it turned around, right? He went to TNA. I would hardly say that Bischoff had a great track record of success in TNA. So the the writer taking a little bit of creative license there when he says, uh, men with successful track records, <laughs> you know, Hulk Hogan, sure. I mean, say what you want to about Hulk Hogan. He has been in the wrestling business for 35 years now, probably, and he is still as popular and relevant as ever. I give him all the credit in the world for that. And Bruce Pritchard, too. Bruce Pritchard's been very successful doing what he does. Uh, It was when they brought Pritchard in, I thought, that TNA's creative fortunes really started to turn around. It was around the time I started watching Impact full-time, I think, uh, two years ago, that Pritchard took power creatively. So I'm not quite sure what happened there, but... Uh, Yeah, I I would hardly say Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo have a proven track record, uh, historically, of being successful when it comes to creative and writing behind the scenes in wrestling. You're taking a very small part of their career and blowing it up into something much bigger. Here's another quote. And this is from Vince Russo. The internet wrestling community, and God, I hate that fucking term. The internet wrestling community thinks in-ring wrestling action should take up every minute of every show, says Russo, practically shouting, the author says. 
That's what they believe the business is. That's what they're fans of. I mean, they rate fake wrestling matches on a star system. The matches are fake. They're not real. Well, thank you, Vince Russo. I was not aware of this. Uh, It's like finding out that Santa Claus isn't real and the Easter Bunny is Sami Zayn. I didn't know that, so I thank him for uh, revealing that to me. I wasn't aware that wrestling was a work. Uh, this this notion that the the I, I can't even say it uh, the uh, the smart wrestling fans we'll call them that I'm not calling them by those other that other acronym the notion that you and I as quote smart wrestling fans whatever the fuck that means only wants wrestling and nothing else on the shows is complete and total bullshit not surprised that Vince Russo spewing bullshit yet again but. Look, I don't want just wrestling and nothing else on the show. Some of my favorite segments from Raw over the years, even during the Attitude Era, had nothing to do with wrestling. It was comedy that worked, or it was Austin coming out on a Zamboni and jumping on McMahon. I love that shit. I thought that was great. If you could find me a wrestling show that takes a little bit of that and sprinkles it in with some great wrestling, I would be happy. I don't know any wrestling fan who wants nothing but wrestling for three hours straight. What fucking planet does this guy live on? What, what what fans is he talking to? He's full of shit. What else is new? When asked to describe her working relationship with Jeff Jarrett, Dixie Carter uh, said, I will always give props to Jeff. Out of the thousands of wrestlers out there, he's still the only one who decided to create something with his own money. I have mad respect for that. Always have and always will. And just... Reading that, I find Dixie Carter using the words props and mad respect in the same paragraph to be hilarious. I don't know if I'm the only one. Uh, they talked a little bit about Global Force Wrestling, which we haven't heard much about recently either. Jeff Jarrett keeps uh, making these partnerships, and he's scouting for talent. We still know nothing. We know nothing about when it's starting, about the TV show. If they even have a TV deal, we know nothing. Uh, but they talked about GFW um, you know, they talked a little bit about how they've been focusing on a lot of international partnerships because they've been partnering not just with, with indie promotions across the country, but other promotions in, in Japan. They have an agreement with New Japan Pro Wrestling, with Mexico, I think, with, uh, with, with AAA, I believe. And they asked Dixie Carter about how those partnerships could affect TNA and its share on foreign markets. And Dixie's response to this was that she isn't preoccupied with what Jeff Jarrett is doing. She said, not at all. Not even a bit. Don't know what it is. Don't understand it. Don't need to. Think about that for a second. She is the president of a wrestling organization. And the author is asking her about a wrestler who has defected, who is starting up his own promotion, and he's entering into partnerships with organizations from all over the world, some of whom have worked in the past with TNA. So it could have an effect on some of the relationships that TNA currently has or or might want to have in the future if they survive and they stick around for a while. And you have the president of this company. Now, I understand she wants to no-sell it like it's not a big deal. But to say that I don't know what it is, I don't understand it, don't need to. Why in my head do I have a feeling that when Dixie Carter came into the wrestling business on day one, that exact quote probably came out of her mouth way back when? Don't know what it is? Don't understand it? Don't need to. And here we are 12 years later. What kind of mentality is that to have? If I'm the president of a company and this guy is starting something new, I want to know exactly what the fuck he's doing. I want to understand it. I care what it is. I want to at least understand what it is. 
you know, it's I can't I can't believe that she would actually say something like this. But it just it says a lot about the kind of uh, executive that she is in this company that she just feels like I don't need to know what the hell's going on outside of our little bubble. We do what we do. They do what they do. It doesn't matter. You think WWE doesn't keep tabs, for example, on what UFC is doing? I mean, they could claim like UFC is not competition to us. I've never heard Vince McMahon say, you know, somebody asked him, hey, uh, you know, UFC is doing this thing called Fight Pass, which is kind of similar to your network, where UFC is doing this, or they're breaking into China, or they're doing that. I can't fathom Vince McMahon sitting there, if he was ever asked about that, and saying something other than, you know, he'd give the stock answer of, well, you know, what they do is different from us, and, you know, it doesn't really affect us that much. I can't imagine Vince McMahon sitting there going, don't know about it, don't care, don't have to. That blew my mind. Just blew my mind when I read that. They interviewed AJ Styles for the piece. He said it was insulting of TNA's final contract offer. He says he would have uh, ended up getting a 40% pay cut had he agreed to it. And then Dixie Carter. This is what Dixie Carter had to say about AJ Styles. There there were some, uh, some pretty hefty gems from her in this story. She said, I hate that we lost AJ. Are you listening? Speaking directly into the uh, reporter's recording device. I hate it. I felt like we gave him a great offer. I really did. I felt like we gave him a great offer, and I think he made a mistake. I don't know about you. AJ Styles seems to be doing pretty well these days. He's going back and forth with New Japan and Ring of Honor. He's taking all the indie dates that he can fit into his schedule. And according to AJ himself, if he's telling the truth, by the time this year is over, he will have made far more than not just the offer that TNA made him, but possibly what he had been previously making in TNA. He's not hurting for money. He's having fun. He's having some of the best matches of his career. You know, the the G1 stuff was just out of this world. But Dixie's in her bubble. And to her, how could this guy be better off going out and working for these other little promotions when we have uh, television on Spike TV? You know, we're number two. Which is debatable, by the way. When you can't draw more than two or 300 people at your house shows and pro wrestling syndicate or any number of independent promotions is outdrawing you for live events they are on national tv but it's getting harder and harder to call tna number two anymore but there's a reason why i call her delusional dixie on this podcast i didn't come up with that name last year because it just sounded cool i call her delusional dixie because she is delusional and this interview just proved it this interview didn't do anything to convince me otherwise this woman is delusional now two things i did agree with and then we'll move on here There was a quote from EC3. EC3 was under contract to WWE. He was part of the NXT brand before NXT kind of changed over to what it is today. They were doing those seasons. Um, And they talk about him in the article, and he says, you know, it's the exact opportunity I was ready for a long time ago that I never got over there, being WWE. He says, I have a chip on my shoulder to shove it up their ass. Every second I'm out there, every chance I get, I'm motivated to make this company succeed. Uh, that quote could come back to bite him on his ass at some point down the road. Uh, you know, looking at the situation TNA finds itself in, who knows if they'll be around six months from now. I don't know that I would be saying crap about WWE, even if that is how he really feels, but uh, I don't doubt for a second that's how he feels. He probably felt like he got a raw deal, and he's one of the bright spots of TNA. I have to say, I'm a big fan of EC3. I agree with him 100%. I just don't know that I would have actually said that. Uh, in the interview. And the last quote from Dixie maybe is the, the least delusional thing she said the whole the whole interview. She said, all these people say, I hope you go out of business. 
Why would you ever want that? You don't think we make wrestling better just by exposing more people and giving more people more options? It's the most ludicrous, short-sighted thing. The sheer absurdity and stupidity of it blows my mind. Well, I've said that a few times about some TNA stuff on this one podcast here. I feel sorry for the wrestling business if we're not around. That That's what Dixie uh, ended on in the interview. And I agree. I You know, I don't get people cheerleading that they want TNA to die. TNA will do some really stupid shit to where... If that is the end result, if they do die, if they do cease to exist, they get what they deserve. Whatever happens to TNA at this point, they deserve it. It's nobody else's. I know to them it's everyone else's fault. It's it's Spike's fault. It's this guy's fault or whatever. You know, it's it's not it's never their fault. Vince Russo's the same way. It's never his fault. But at the end of the day, if TNA goes under, it's their own fault. I don't feel sorry for them. I feel sorry for the wrestlers. Um, I do think the wrestling business is is worse off if they cease to exist. So I'm not cheerleading it. And there are people who cheerlead it. And I don't get it. I, I just think it's completely dumb. So, you know, me and her are on the same page when it comes to that. Uh, but just a fascinating article. Uh, there's a lot of other stuff in there as well. So I would uh, recommend finding it. It's on Grantland. Check it out. But some of these comments by Dixie, especially the one about not not having to bother learning about what Jeff Jarrett is up to, it's just it's it's unbelievable to me, and it's a great insight, I think, into this woman's mind and why TNA, a big part of why TNA is in the position that it's in right now. They just don't learn, and that's why they did copy a lot of WWE stuff, and they they're they're completely tone deaf. They don't get it. How could you how could you not want to learn about what's going on out there? You should always want to learn. You should always learn from other people's mistakes and their successes. And maybe what Jeff Jarrett does doesn't work. Learn from it. Maybe what he does does work. Learn from it. Why would you not want to learn from it? Why would you just want to just ignore it and pretend like it doesn't exist? I just, I don't get it. Let's move on to the mailbag. I, what I do get is a lot of emails from you guys. I am, uh, I am way behind, but I am still reading everything you send me. So the Solomonster at gmail.com. That email address never changes. Please include your name and where you are from when you write in. We have uh, two MP3 audio questions kicking off the mailbag this week, and the first one here comes to us from Jesse in Texas. What's up, Solomonster? I noticed that the WWE likes to eventually turn big powerhouse guys into comedy characters. For example, Mark Henry, Kozlov, Kali, Brodus Clay, Tensai, and even The Big Show. My question to you is, do you ever see this happening to Rusev in the future? Yes, I think eventually that probably is the fate that lies ahead for uh, Mr. Rusev. And I think once they split, because you know, him and Lana are not going to be together forever. Once they split, and I think she drops that bun that her hair is in, and, and she lets her hair down, Lana is going to become the most over-diva on the entire roster. More than AJ, more than Paige, whoever else is there at the time. Uh, that that's the great thing about Lana. She's doing this shtick right now. When it runs its course, who knows what the future holds for Rusev? Probably a lot of comedy, like they did with Kozlov and Kali. But Lana could have this whole other career. I don't know if she can work. You know, she's an actress. I don't know if she's been training down at the Performance Center, NXT. I, I have no idea. Even if it's just as a manager or some other kind of role, I just think there's a whole side to her that we haven't seen. And she lets that hair down and maybe ditches the accent. She's going to have a, a very bright future ahead of her, probably more so than Rusev. This next audio question comes to us from our friend Incubus. Hey, Solomonster Incubus here. 
We always hear how, in years past, how the course of history may have changed if certain matches didn't take place, like if Stone Cold never faced Bret. If Rock vs. Brock did take place at 30, who would have faced Undertaker and what would this have meant for the streak? Also, WrestleMania 2000 is outright regarded as a disappointment, yet I feel the triple threat two-fall match for the European and Intercontinental titles gets forgotten. I mean, it's impossible to say. I mean, if, if the plan a year in advance had been Rock and Brock, and they had that much lead time to build up to the match, it, it changes everything else. So if you're asking me, okay, if that was the plan and they knew that, then who would have fought Undertaker? I think Bray Wyatt probably would have been a good chance. They never would have bothered putting Cena versus Wyatt down as a feud that they wanted to do. Uh, and I think Wyatt, who ended up losing anyway at WrestleMania, would have just lost to The Undertaker instead. Uh, there were other names that had been batted around as potential opponents for Undertaker. Undertaker supposedly had wanted to work with Daniel Bryan. He respects him. Uh, but then everything happened with the fans, and they already had made their plans for Rock and Brock. But that would have been a hell of a match. Now, what would the outcome have been? I would think Undertaker goes over. Uh, but you never know. I mean, it's Vince McMahon's call. If, if Vince made the call four hours before the show, as Shawn Michaels said... You know, did he make that call because they just, you know, they couldn't decide and Vince finally put his foot down and said, okay, it feels right and we're going to build Brock and you're winding down, so let's do it? Or was it purely a decision where Vince looked at Undertaker or maybe talked to him and could tell that physically he just was not doing well and he said, that's it. You know, Brock Brock just so happens to be the guy that you're programmed against tonight, so he's going to get the rub, but it didn't matter who it was. Vince looked at Taker and said, Ugh, that's it, you're done, you're finished. Because if that's the case, then he would have lost to whoever he was in the ring with. But I find it hard to believe that, you know, had it been Taker and Bray or Taker and Brian, uh, that Vince would have been like, you know what, let's put those guys over. You're going to lose to those guys tonight. I think it was easier for Vince to look at a guy like Brock Lesnar, this monster of a guy, and say, it, it feels right. Let's build Brock up as a monster Tonight, he's going over. I, I don't know that Vince would have felt the same way had it been somebody else. So it, it probably would have been Undertaker and, and Wyatt with Taker going over. It could have been Taker and Brian if that's the match he really wanted with Taker probably going over. Uh, there's also the other scenario I floated, which was before the Shield really started to go babyface. And that started when they put them with the Wyatts. I think when they first paired off the Wyatts and the Shield and they teased something between the two factions, that's when the tide started to turn for the Shield and people started cheering them and they were booked more like, like a babyface unit. Uh, had they not been booked as babyfaces, given that the last time we saw Undertaker was on SmackDown getting triple powerbomb through an announce table after a match against Dean Ambrose, a rare rare singles match on SmackDown for The Undertaker. So if I were Dean Ambrose, I would have been honored uh, to be in the ring with him. And I'm sure The Undertaker probably thinks very highly of all three of them. You could have done a scenario that made sense where Undertaker is coming back for revenge on the three little punks who put him out of action. And it ends up being a not, not a three-on-one handicap match, but you do it gauntlet style. So Undertaker would face either Ambrose or Rollins in match number one. And he would win. And then whichever one, you know, was not in the first match would be match number two. And it would be tougher, but in the end, Taker would win. Although by this point now, he's he's tired and, and kind of beaten down. It took a lot. It took a lot to, to put both Ambrose and Rollins out. 
Now he's got to deal with the big guy. Now he's got to deal with Roman Reigns in that third and final match. He's already got two wins under his belt. People are, are behind him. They want to see him, you know, pull it out in the end. And, you know, maybe he even kicks out of a spear, you know, whatever Roman's big move is. But in the end, Roman wins. The Shield conquers the streak, although, you know, Roman Reigns gets credit for it. And it makes sense. If Roman Reigns is going to be around and he's going to be the next big guy they push, uh, for Roman Reigns to have the honor of breaking the streak, he's a guy that they expect to be around for a long time. I don't think he's, you know, quitting wrestling to go do something else. Uh, but what that also would have done, it would have served two purposes. The other purpose it would have served is to be the kickoff of the split of the Shield, which you know didn't have to happen right away. You could have slowly built it from there. But you know it builds jealousy because Roman Reigns is going around thinking you know his shit don't stink. He's getting credit for ending the streak, but yet all three of them wrestled Undertaker. Okay, it took three guys to tire him out and put him down. He had two matches before the match with Reigns. And so that builds some some dissension and jealousy within the ranks. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could have gone with it. I think any of those scenarios would have been fine. Uh, but the Shield are, are, are big enough stars now and I think are going to be big stars going forward. Probably the whole company is going to be built around uh, most of those guys. Would have made sense if Undertaker was going to have to lose, if Vince said you're losing, to, to let him lose to the Shield. And let him lose to Roman in that final match, and then use it as a way to build uh, to the eventual split. So it serves a lot of different purposes. You're not just doing it for the sake of doing it. It actually has a purpose. And your second point about WrestleMania 2000. Yeah, I mean, that match does tend to get lost in the shuffle. I don't hear too many people talking about it. But I think more than anything, it's just because that match, it was good. It wasn't anything great. You know, Jericho, Angle, and Benoit are three of the big workhorses of WWE in that period. We would see all three guys have much better matches. And to put all three in the ring at once, I think I remember watching that show thinking, huh, I thought this would be better than it was. It was good, but on some level I also found it to be a little disappointing. And as a whole, that whole pay-per-view was disappointing. There wasn't one singles match on that show. That, that's the only WrestleMania in history that has the distinction of having not one singles match on the show. It was all tag matches, six-man tags, triple threat, fatal four-way. You know, it, it's overkill. It's overkill. And then the biggest buzzkill of all is having the heel retain the championship at the end of WrestleMania, which, again, I don't think is anything we had ever seen before. Um, and it would have made it would have made sense to have Rock get the big win there, but I think what was happening is they wanted Steve Austin back to be in Rock's corner, and I guess he wasn't ready, so they held it off and they did it the month after. So in the end, it worked out. But there's a lot of reasons why people don't look back on WrestleMania 2000 as being some great show because it wasn't. And even the triple threat match, it was good, but it wasn't anything to sing home about. Nathan from Cleveland, Ohio. While watching Raw Monday night, an ad came on for a local WWE house show coming in a couple of weeks. The main match they advertised was WWE World Heavyweight Champion John Cena taking on Mr. Money in the Bank Seth Rollins. I nearly vomited. I sincerely hope they don't, or they did not, spoil the main event of Night of Champions for me. But even more than that, I hope they don't put the bell back on John Cena. I will unsubscribe from the network that night, if so. Because you see this being a real spoiler and a mistake on WWE's part. Or is somebody else in charge of putting together those house show ads and could have just made a mistake when making them? It depends when the ad was made. Most of the ads you you hear now and you see on the radio, whatever, uh, they are pretty much up to date. They're always cutting new ads. Uh, 
but it doesn't mean anything. It's not a spoiler of anything. It's not indicative of anything, I don't think. I mean, maybe I'll look like a fool for saying that when this pay-per-view is over tonight. Uh, but I, I wouldn't go too crazy about it. There, it could very well be a house show ed that has not been updated yet. I think most of them are updated, but it could just be a matter of one hand not knowing what the other hand's doing. This comes from Ryan. I was catching up on NXT and watching the Baron Corbin-CJ Parker match when Renee Young described Corbin as a lone wolf. This got me thinking about the last lone wolf on NXT, Corey Graves. How would you feel about Corey Graves being paired off with Corbin as his mouthpiece? Graves and Corbin share a similar look. I've always thought Graves was a very good talker. Since Graves is supposedly done with in-ring action due to repeated concussions, I think he could succeed in a managerial role. He might. He, he is a good talker. Uh, I don't know if he's done in the ring for sure. That seems to be the story. I, I don't know that for 100% fact. He's definitely had uh, more than his share of concussions, which is troubling. But doesn't mean he can't talk. Doesn't mean he can't take a bump every now and then. <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, that might be a good role for him. It's too early to put him with Baron Corbin. The thing I like about Corbin, he's kind of got this silent but deadly deal. He doesn't. He hasn't spoken yet. It's only been two weeks. He goes in there, he smashes you, and he walks away. We don't even know if he can speak or if he's terrible on the microphone. He may be perfectly fine on his own, and in that case, I don't know that you really need to put Graves with him. So I just think it's too early to tell. Trevor from Coconut Creek, Florida. I was watching a shoot interview with Demolition. During the interview, Axe was pretty clear about WWE dropping the ball with them and constantly trying to bury them during the end of their run. I always remember people saying they were Road Warrior ripoffs, but I think they were better workers. Where does Demolition rank in your top tag teams, and do you think they'll ever go into the Hall of Fame? I saw that shoot interview that you're talking about, or at least the one I think you're talking about. Uh, I linked to it on my Twitter. Uh, the guy put it up for free <clears throat> on his channel. He He's done some other shoots as well. And uh, it was really good. It was a really good interview. Pretty recent, too, because they talked about the Warrior passing away. So it had to be done in the last few months. Where does Demolition rank for me? They're, they're probably my all-time favorite tag team in WWE. Uh, because I, I grew up on them. I didn't grow up on NWA wrestling. I, I saw it here and there. I knew of the Road Warriors, but not until later on. Uh, maybe had I grown up on NWA, I'd feel the same way. Ah, oh, a bunch of Road Warrior ripoffs. Instead of spikes, they got those, you know, those other little metal things, and they've got face paint, and you know, I, I could see where people would make that comparison. the the only The only link, if there is one, between Demolition and the Road Warriors, as the story goes, Vince wanted the Road Warriors, he couldn't get them. They were under contract, or they didn't want to come, whatever the case was. He wanted them, he couldn't get them, so he made his own version of the Road Warriors. A couple of badasses who wore face paint, who went in there and beat the crap out of people. So, to say that they were Road Warrior ripoffs is not completely wrong, because I think they were Vince McMahon's answer to what he could not have. But... You know, were they better workers? Probably. You know, Bill Eady was a number of different wrestling personalities before Axe. Uh, even Smash, you know, he was Crusher Khrushchev in the NWA. He he played other roles both before and after Smash. He was he was a good wrestler. So I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that they were you know better workers. But Demolition to me, it, it, you know, my all-time favorite team, first team in WWE history to three-peat, win the tag titles three times. A little trivia note there. Uh, well overdue for the Hall of Fame. I think they will get into the Hall of Fame one year. I know that Axe 
had sued Vince McMahon in WWE at least once uh, many years ago. It had to do with the rights to the demolition name, which the fact that they're still using the demolition name, I would assume, probably means he won the rights to it. Um, That might not sit well with Vince McMahon. That might have a lot to do with why they're not already in the Hall of Fame. But plenty of people who have been in legal trouble or sued Vince and been a pain in the ass have made amends with him and been put in the Hall of Fame. So I think Demolition is definitely going to go in one day. I'd love to see him go in next year. Uh, They seem to be open to it. Both Axe and Smash seem to be open to it as well, which is cool. So I'm sure they would do it. They wouldn't have any issues with, with, you know, seeing Vince McMahon again or anything like that. Uh, I hope they go in. They deserve to go in. For a lot of guys who grew up on them in that period, they were what the Road Warriors were to many young NWA fans. Uh, They had memorable matches with the Hart Foundation and Strike Force, and the Bulldogs, although not on TV, I think they were mostly house show matches with them. Uh, Andre and Haku, the Powers of Pain, and I'm, I'm in 100% agreement with Axe on the end of their run, because Demolition was a big deal in WWE, and when Vince McMahon was finally able to get the Legion of Doom, and he brought them over, it's almost like, and this goes to what I said before about how Vince tried to get LOD many years earlier and couldn't, and his answer was Demolition, because when he finally did get LOD, all of a sudden Demolition were shoved to the side like a couple of job guys. And Axe and Smash came over, or, uh, I'm sorry, Animal and Hawk came over, and they were the big, the, the big guys in town, and Demolition was almost like an afterthought. And Hawk, um, or Axe, I should say, talked in the interview about having some, uh, medical issues that had to be dealt with. I think he ate uh, seafood and it played, it wreaked havoc with his heart. So that's where the heart issues that he had came from. That's why he had to stop wrestling for a while and they brought in Crush. It became Smash and Crush. And Axe would be out there managing them sometimes. They would do the old switcheroo uh, because, you know, Crush and Axe look so much alike, even in height. I think <laughs> Crush probably had a good three or four inches at least on Axe. Uh, but that's why Axe had to step out of the ring for a while, and they brought Crush in. But around that time, you know, when they when they lost the tag belts to the Hart Foundation at SummerSlam in 1990, they did nothing with Demolition after that. Axe left, so he, he just was like, I'm out of here. If you're not going to do anything with me, I'm done. I can go work in Japan. He was getting paid good money by Baba to go work over in Japan and do some tours. So he left, and that left Smash and Crush. And, I, you know, I'll never forget WrestleMania seven. Demolition, Smash and Crush, so not even the original team. They were on the card wrestling, uh, oh my god, who, who was the team? It was a Japanese team, uh, because WWF had some working agreement with a Japanese uh, group at the time. I think it was called SWS, and it was Tenru. It was Tenru and Katao. That was the team. Two Japanese guys that if you're a WWF fan back then, you have no fucking clue who these guys are. And it's just some random match. There was no story to build it up or anything like that. Maybe it was part of the agreement that the Japanese guys get a WrestleMania match and they get a win. They just, they had the match. They beat Demolition. Demolition looked like a couple of job guys, and that was it. And that was the last time I ever remember seeing Demolition in WWE. If, if that wasn't their last match, they were gone very shortly after that. Uh, or or in, in that gimmick, because Crush was still around, and Smash became Repo Man, one of the all-time great gimmicks. I don't care what anybody says. Um, so absolutely at the end of their run they were completely mishandled and they were completely treated like redheaded stepchildren by Vince McMahon like oh we got Hawk and Animal we can get rid of the uh, you know the second rate version of, of LOD the only thing is 
To a lot of fans, Demolition was never a second-rate version of LOD. They became their own standalone team uh, that people that people loved and that had a lot of success in spite of whatever similarities they may have had with the LOD. And I think a lot of fans probably were like, what the hell, man? Like, what are you doing? These, these are your guys. They became your guys, your version of LOD. Now you get the real thing and these guys just kind of get shoved to the side. That's not cool. Vinny from New Jersey. I was watching WrestleMania 4 on the network the other day and noticed something interesting. In his match with Greg Valentine, Ricky Steamboat appears to show some heel-like behavior. He kind of shoves the referee at one point and argues the pinfall at the end, claiming Valentine grabbed the trunks when it doesn't look like he did and beat Steamboat clean. This got me thinking, what if WWE had turned Steamboat heel to feud with Savage for the belt? Storyline is right there. Play off their WrestleMania 3 match with Steamboat playing the I beat him before, I'll beat him again angle perhaps having them headline the inaugural SummerSlam that year. Give them 20 minutes in the ring, let them have a kick-ass wrestling match, and Steamboat can return the favor for Savage and put him over this time. Steamboat was always over with the crowd, so I think his turn would have gotten major heat. Also, it would have gotten Savage a chance to have a successful title defense on pay-per-view, something he never got to have. I love the Mega Powers, but always felt Hogan's presence overshadowed Savage's reign as champion, and I think a major singles feud would have gone a long way towards cementing Savage as the new top babyface. Well, maybe they didn't really want Savage becoming the new top babyface. I'm, I'm sure Hogan didn't. He kept him close enough to where Savage would never overshadow him. Hogan, Hogan was no dummy. He had no problem letting Savage have the limelight because he knew full well what the plan was. He needed a, a credible heel to eventually win the title back from him. He, he went off to film a movie. He came back. You know, that, that was Savage's role. And it is crazy to think that the guy was champion for a year and didn't have one single title defense on any of the major shows. You know, although back then there were fewer big shows, but uh, still. Steamboat as a heel, you know, he, he wanted to turn heel at one point. I think it was when they brought him back in 91. And he's told the story of how Pat Patterson said to him, we're not turning you heel because nobody would ever buy it. And you wouldn't be any good at it. You're the, you're the ultimate babyface. And I think he's right. I, I don't think Steamboat as a heel would have worked back then. I don't know that he could have pulled it off. Uh, I would have preferred he stay face and they do the match. You, you'd split the fans, but in the end, Steamboat returns the favor, puts over Savage, let's say at SummerSlam, and gives him a big win. They still could have picked up with the Mega Power stuff after SummerSlam if they wanted to. I love the Mega Power storyline. That, that whole angle from start to finish is one of my all-time favorites. I would not change a thing about it. But if you wanted to do Savage Steamboat and not blow it off just as a, a semi-final match in the tournament at WrestleMania 4, which is probably what I, I would have ended up doing, um, I think it was pretty stupid, frankly, not to do that match at WrestleMania 4 and have Greg Valentine beat him instead. Either scenario, though, Steamboat would have to be the babyface. I just don't think it would have worked with him as a heel. But it would have been a hell of a feud. Matt from Chicago. While looking into some of the history of African Americans in WWE, I came across a more recent interview with Mark Henry, where he discussed the silver bag gimmick and how he flat out refused to do it, stating that he couldn't in good faith accept the role for the sake of his children. Can you explain this silver bag gimmick? What was it all about? When did they pitch it to Mark Henry, and why did he turn it down? And was there any backstage heat on him for turning it down? Well, I assume uh, what you're talking about here is the Huffington Post interview he did a few months ago. Uh, what happened is he had just 
returned from one of his many, many, many injuries that Mark Henry has had. And they started referring to him as the Silverback. This was in 2007, I think. I'm pretty sure it was 2007. Um, A Silverback, for those who don't know, is an adult male gorilla. So when you refer to somebody who happens to be black as a gorilla, you can understand why that may be upsetting to him. And they try to play it up like, well, the Silverback is the most vicious primate. So, you know, it's Mark Henry is the king of the jungle and all this stuff. You can't ignore the racial overtones to calling somebody Silverback. You, you can't, you can pretend, well, it's not intended that way, Mark, you see. Like, no, that, that doesn't work. Uh, I don't care what anybody says. It had to be a rib on the guy. I mean, look at all the shit he's had to deal with over the years. Literally. Literally. He may have literally eaten shit one time. Sean Waltman tells the story about somebody taking a crap in Mark Henry's sandwich backstage, and he swears it wasn't him, although Waltman has a history of shitting in other people's stuff, so who the hell knows. But supposedly Henry told people, you know, don't eat my sandwich, and he went to the ring for a match, came back, ate the sandwich, completely oblivious to the fact that someone left him a gift inside. You know, that's where the famous line comes from, from the DX parody of The Nation on Raw, when X-Pac wore blackface, he was pretending to be Mark Henry, he was Mizark, remember that? Mizark Henry. And he said, tastes like shit, but I think I'll eat it anyway. <laughs> that's where the line comes from. Uh, I think Ken Shamrock, because Ken Shamrock did a whole bunch of interviews, like months ago, because all the headlines on the wrestling sites were, Ken Shamrock shoots on Triple H, so I, I read some of these interviews. And uh, he claimed that his heat with Triple H was because Triple H had something to do with what happened. I don't know if Triple H was the one who, you know, did the deed, or maybe X-Pac did, but Triple H was part of it in some way. And he ratted him out. So that's what Shamrock had claimed. He probably told Mark, hey, listen, Hunter had something to do with it. Um, But anyway, you know, they put Mark Henry with Mae Young, who gave birth to a hand... They aired the segment where he fondled a transvestite. He was shocked to find out she had a penis. I mean, it's not like they haven't fucked with the guy before. And and why would you want to fuck with a guy like Mark Henry anyway? You're you're a supposed world's strongest man. You know, I en- I enjoyed the uh, the sexual chocolate stuff because it was funny. But I mean, shouldn't that guy be booked like a monster? I mean, they've tried how many times over the years to book him like one. It's like they wake up and it's like, well, you know, what we're doing with the guy isn't working. Let's book him as a monster. And they do it, and then he either gets hurt or it doesn't work. So then he goes back to being a joke. And then one day, hey, let's book him like a monster again. That, that's why the booking of Mark Henry over the years is so similar to Kane. Kane has been way more protected than Mark Henry, but it's no different with Kane. Kane is great because he can play any role you want him to. 47 years old, 48, whatever he is. And still working full-time, you know, he's, he's working house shows, TVs, pay-per-views, say what you want to about Kane, and his matches may not be that good these days, but I give that guy a lot of credit, I have a lot of respect for Kane, because he's a big guy too, a lot of big guys, their knees, they don't last as long as he has, but Kane's been around forever, how many freaking times has Kane been treated like a joke, or relegated to a tag team feud, a mid-card feud, and then one day it's like, oh, we need a monster, let's bring out the demon, he puts the mask back on, and all of a sudden, he's a main eventer again. He's main eventing pay-per-views against John Cena. He's wrestling CM Punk. It's unbelievable. Mark Henry, it's very similar. They tried so many things with him over the years. So many things they should not have done, including comedy, which, which worked for a little bit. And then one day, it's like, well, 
let's try booking this guy as a monster. It's like, really? No shit. You should have been doing that from day one. But, you know, they turned him into a monster. It finally started working with the Hall of Pain stuff a few years ago. He won the world title. But how many years was he under contract before they finally figured that out? I, I sometimes wonder, you know, a guy like Andre the Giant, this this revered character in wrestling history. He, he's in the opening of every show. They had a battle royal in his honor this year with a giant statue at WrestleMania. They built a giant bronze statue of him that, that sits in Titan Tower whenever you walk into the lobby. You know, it just goes to show you how much the company has changed if a guy like Andre came along today. And I'm not talking broken down, barely able to move Andre from the late 80s. I'm talking late 70s, early 80s Andre who could go, he could move around. If he came along today, you know damn well within six months they'd have him dancing in the ring with Hornswoggle or the fucking bunny rabbit. Years ago, they protected guys like that. They made them feel larger than life. Now they got three hours to fill every single week, and we need comedy, so nobody gets over. Last question here comes from Keelan from Lurgan, Northern Ireland. Who would you regard as the voice of WWE? As a longtime fan, when you think of that company, whose voice to you is most synonymous with the product? Would it be an announcer like Jim Ross or Gorilla Monsoon, a ring announcer like Howard Finkel, someone like Gene Okerlund, or perhaps even Vince McMahon himself? I'm going to go with Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon is the, when I think, who is the voice and the face of WWE? I think of Vince. I think of Vince because even when I was growing up, a fan of the product, yeah, Gorilla was there, and Gorilla is one of my all-time greats. You know, Gorilla and Bobby were fantastic, and Mean Gene and all of them, but Vince was also on commentary. You know, Vince was doing announcing for his dad back in the 70s. So Vince was, he was, he was the voice of the company, even going back all those years, and I was a fan of Vince on commentary, even though he didn't know the names to any of the maneuvers. They were just maneuvers. What a maneuver! But Vince and Jesse on Saturday night's main event, I mean, come on. Can't beat that. And then Vince on Raw. So between that and any time there was like a, a major angle or a major interview, Vince would be the one in the ring doing the interview. So to me, Vince Vince is easily the, the voice of WWE. He's got that distinctive voice too. Like now it's all grovelly and stuff. I don't know what happens with these guys. I don't know if it's all the cocaine they did. Shawn Michaels, too. Like, his voice is all grovelly. And, you know, Vince, you can barely understand him now when he speaks. He's, it's, it's awful. He sounds like a, like a chain smoker, which he can't be because I know Vince hates cigarette smoke. I've read that. So I don't think he was a smoker. God knows what else he was doing to himself over the years. But, yeah, I'd have to go with Vince. This week's Sound Off Throwback takes us back one year. Sound off episode 293 from September 22nd, 2013. Can you believe it was one year ago this week that we got the debut of Heel Dixie Carter on Impact? Delusional Dixie made her debut on Impact. Let's take you back to one year ago this week. It's time to go back in time. So, out came Dixie Carter. She said that she is accountable as the president of the company and that she owed AJ an apology she said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I ever made you think you were really important in this company. So, off to the races we were with Heel Dixie. She said AJ was just a little bit better than average, and that's in any pond, which she repeated for emphasis. If you were having flashbacks to Stephanie McMahon running down Daniel Bryan a few weeks ago for only being five foot eight, 190 pounds, and being a solid B+, believe me, you weren't the only one. Dixie said AJ was not the phenomenal one. He was more like the marginal one. 
since she could not remember the last five-star match he was involved in because he's not close to what he used to be. She said if it wasn't for her daddy's money, Styles would still be living in a trailer. She went to leave. AJ had more to say, but she demanded his mic get cut, the lights be turned out because the show is over. Either that or they just didn't pay their bill. This week's sad tweet comes to us from the man for which this segment was originally conceived, at Zack Ryder, who on Wednesday posted a tweet that read, Somebody asked me today if I was retired. That says it all right there. And you can tweet me your own suggestions for sad tweet of the week. Let me know, at Solomonster, and I may use it here on the podcast. Keep emailing me those questions, thesolomonster at gmail.com. I mentioned before my Twitter, at Solomonster. I'll be doing live tweeting tonight during the Night of Champions pay-per-view, as well as Raw, as I do each and every Monday night. 6,700 strong on there. Follow me on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash thesolomonster. Here's a link to my profile page. We also have a closed discussion group. Type in Solomonster Sounds Off, and you can apply for membership. And don't forget, we have a YouTube channel as well. You go to youtube.com slash thesolomonster. should take you right there. You can subscribe as we get ever so closer to 10,000 subscribers. So thank you to everybody who has joined us on the YouTube. That's what I'm calling it from now, and I'm going to call it the YouTube. You can make a PayPal donation anytime on thesolomonster.com. You'll find the donation box on the right-hand side. $10 or more will get you a wrestling nickname. And please do remember, ProWrestlingTees.com slash off. We only need a few more shirts to meet our threshold, and then I can upload a whole bunch of new designs for you guys. So please consider buying a shirt, ProWrestlingTees.com slash off. You can also get a free 30 days of Audible because of me, this show, this podcast. We're giving you free 30 days of Audible.com service. If you go to audibletrial.com slash solomonster, you get one free audio book. Check it out. Every time somebody signs up, it's just a way to support the show. And who wouldn't want to support this podcast? Because I've just rambled on for two hours and 11 minutes. I'm almost out of spit. I can't even talk anymore. That's my sign that it's time to exit episode 346 in the books. We'll be back with episode 347 next weekend. We'll have thoughts on Night of Champions, Raw, whatever the hell happens this week in TNA. Who can predict anymore from one week to the next? And we'll have your mailbag questions and a whole lot more. So, until next time, be well, stay safe, and we will see you right back here next weekend for a brand new podcast. Until then, take care, guys. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The Solomonster sounds off. Jonathan writes in, Seamus and Dean Ambrose don't defend their U.S. title for weeks and how the titles mean shit. Let me school you, son. There's a big difference now, today, between the world title and the secondary titles. WWE has done a horrendous job. So they lose and they lose and they lose, and soon enough, people look at them as losers who happen to carry around a belt. That's not how you make your title seem important. Your champion should look strong. So now that I shot down your argument there, if Brock comes back and defends the title at Survivor Series, and then again at the Rumble, and again at Mania, the world will not end. Business will not die. But I guarantee you those Brock Lesnar title defenses are going to be must-see TV when they happen. So eat your sour grapes and just relax. Since 2007, on thesolomonster.com, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes. Solo Monsters Sound Off?